get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN. Jansen, that is into center field. Here comes Kiermaier. Phillips has tied the game. Arose, Arena coming around. Throw home, now he stumbles. But the ball gets away. Tampa Bay wins it. Brett Phillips, game four, hero. There are certain moments, Jamie, where you just remember where you were when it happened. Like for, for St. Louis, the moments recently, recent history, 2011 game six of the world series everybody in our audience right now you listening you know exactly where you were you know who you were with and you know what you said after that happened you know it. you just will always remember what that was like and sports have this special thing for all of us that's why you're listening that's why we do this for a living they bring out emotion they bring out anxiety unlike anything else Saturday was that for me. Saturday, that game four ending was one of the most spectacular sporting events that I will ever watch in my life. I will. I, I don't know that we will ever see something quite like that again. Now, we'll see cool endings, but the way that that happened, the Rays potentially going down three to one in the series, and for all intents and purposes, it was going to be over. The fact that you had Randy Arozarena and we we were wondering in our text chain, like, do you throw to him here? What do you do? Do you pitch to him? And then the next guy coming up at the plate is Brett Phillips, <laughs> who his last at bat prior to that was on October 7th. His last hit prior to Saturday was September 25th. He had zero hits in the postseason. It was his first ever walk-off hit. All of that added to what was that moment. Unbelievable, Jamie. One of the best finishes that we're ever going to see. Yeah, it was crazy how it all set up. And then, you know, you've got uh, they, they took G-Man Choi out for the pinch runner, which was Phillips. And probably not thinking at the time that ah, this could be put us in a bad spot. Well, then, lo and behold, you end up with a Rosarena at the plate with a man on first base. And then they, I couldn't believe the first pitch that came down, and it was a missed pitch. Ooh. The catchers lined up outside to the plate. That thing came humming in at 93 right down the pipe. I was like, I can't believe he just threw a fastball. The broadcasters tried to play it off like Kenley Jansen was trying to challenge him. It's like, no, Kenley Jansen even looked like, oh, I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> well, even Rosarena's <laughs> face
face was like, what? What, what just happened? So after that, then they they kind of pitched to him. They gave him nothing yeah. to hit after that. So it was essentially a walk, which I, I, I think on our text chain, I said, I, you know, or one of us said, that could be that could be dangerous. And then we're like, oh, but it's Brett Phillips yeah. coming up next, you know? Then he stands in there and cracks just a little bloop. And then all hell broke loose, BK. A missed ball in center field, then a cutoff, then Rosarena pulling a Daniel Jones coming around third. There was so much happening. I was like, <laughs> I, I felt like I was just sitting there like, what did I miss? I had to watch it like a, a hundred times. I didn't know Rosarena tripped and went like a full flip because I saw the, 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 the throw come in and the catcher go for the quick tag before he caught the ball. I'm like, oh my God. And then a, Rosa, a Rosarena came in. Then they pan out and I see him doing a full front flip. Good recovery time by the way. And I texted you guys this too. Maybe the text line can help with this. 65780. Arena, didn't he do that with the Cardinals in one of his first games oh, where he know. was rounding third and coming home and he tripped up and he got tagged out at the plate. It was either him or it was Oscar Mercado, but it was one of the first games. So when it happened again, I'm like, boy, what is the deal with the Rosarena here? But Are you sure he- it wasn't in Dallas Garcia? Because Garcia had one of those Maybe moments. Maybe Garcia. Yeah. yeah. Sure it wasn't John Nagowski. <laughs> no, I know it wasn't Nagowski. It, it was him. an outfielder. I know that. <laughs> it was wild, man, because you. every time I watched it, I felt like I saw something different. I was like, oh, oh, my God, I didn't realize that the first time. And there were. I want to get to some of these calls because we've got the ESPN radio call. We've got the Spanish call, which was just tremendous. We've got a lot of these. I want to get to some of them. But it was just it, – it was everything. There was – the dropped ball in the outfield. It was trying to get the tag down before you actually had the ball with Will Smith, who hadn't played a whole lot of catcher in the series prior to that. Too much acting. It was the front flip summer salt into a sprint, dead sprint to home by Randy Arozarena. Everything. And then the, the airplane from our guy going to the outfield. I think he just had no idea what to do. And then he was running around. like Not I, get tackled by your teammates. I've had those moments where not in the NHL, but before that <laughs> scored big goals and you, you don't really know what to do. It's like you, you have no more control over your body. And then you look back at the tapes like that. You're like, yeah. Oh my God, what was I doing? <laughs> Did you see he had apparently his resting heart rate afterwards was like 140 BPM. <laughs> they and had to sit him on the bench. They the had to give him an IV. Like, <laughs> gave him an IV. He literally got an IV afterwards. And there was a story last night that apparently he had like 500 texts and he was like, I have to return all of these. So he returned all of them, stayed up to like 4 a.m. that night. Did return yours? Did not return no. mine. I haven't, I haven't sent it yet. I'll that, send that out later today. It was the most incoherent post-game interview I've ever heard. Like, he couldn't make sentences properly. He I was all over the place. He was in shock, man. Yeah. I mean, uh, imagine you're Brett Phillips. First He's of like, all, wait, I'm the dance-off guy. Why am I a bat right the now? The guy who hyperventilates when he laughs. His postseason was basically spit with a whiteboard. Like, he was supposed to be the guy that was inactive, sitting on the bench with the whiteboard being the hype man all postseason he comes in for the base running he's a really good defensive player so he goes out into the field and then the game just comes to him and that's the best part about baseball right you get these moments in baseball because jamie at the end of a hockey game you're gonna have your best players on the ice you've got certain guys that you want out there for that critical moment you're never gonna put your lowest man on the totem pole in that situation But in this moment, the only guy they had that they could go with was the one who hadn't had a hit in a month. The guy who hadn't had an at-bat in three weeks. 
the guy who has never hit a walk-off uh, hit in his career. Like, he didn't even have a uniform for last series. Like, he didn't dress, right? Huh. It was unbelievable. Yeah, no, he, he, he didn't was even on dress. the bench. Yeah, yeah he, he was inactive for the series. So the World Series has been around now for 116 years. There have been 676 World Series games going into Saturday night. Game four was just the third t- third time that the team that was trailing with two outs in the ninth inning won with the swing of the bat. Just the third time that that has ever happened in World Series history. Two historical players on the same team. Randy Rosarina, greatest playoffs ever. Brett and now Phillips. Brett Phillips, one of the only three greatest to do that. Greatest playoff moment yeah. probably ever. <laughs> so let's go through a few of these. You just heard the Joe Buck walk-off winner. He had an unbelievable call. Here's the ESPN radio one. If you were listening right here on 101 ESPN, this is the call that you heard. I thought Dan Schulman did an unbelievable job as well. And the pitch, a swing and a ball lined in the right center, a base hit. Kiermaier around third. It's booted by Taylor. A Rosarena coming home, and now he's caught. And now Smith drops the ball, and a Rosarena scores. Smith had the ball. At the plate, they had a Rosarena caught, and he lost the ball. It dropped out of his mitt, and somehow, miraculously, the Rays have won the game. I think the wildest part was when suddenly a Rosarena is just like slamming the home plate because I think he was as in shock as all of us were that he dropped the ball. It's like I just I just tripped up. I'm in a bad spot here. I'm about to get into a pickle. And suddenly, oh, my God, the ball is rolling off behind Will Smith right now. I can score. We're going to win this game. (laughs) I was thinking about this, too. If that was any other hitter other than Brett Phillips, like if that was a guy who you had confidence in to be able to get a hit, you're not talking about the walk-off hit from Brett Phillips. You're talking about the fact that Will Smith misses the ball, Chris Taylor boots the ball, or Randy Rosarena trips up at third base and still scores. But because of Brett Phillips, all three of those guys get off of the hook. They did a, a Bill Buckner twice yeah. on one play. It, it happened twice to the Dodgers on one play where Chris Taylor yeah. boots it in the outfield yep. and then Will Smith isn't able to grab it at home. Part of this also is that the Rays put so much damn pressure on you with their speed. Their athleticism is a problem for teams. You saw that it didn't work, but last night Margot trying to steal home, like that's the pressure. I didn't mind that play. I loved it. No. I didn't mind it. That's that's part of what makes those plays happen from the Dodgers is they have so much athleticism and they put so much pressure on the opponent that they always feel like they have to be perfect. And so Will Smith's trying to transfer from the catch to the tag immediately. He just never had it. All right, here's my favorite call. My favorite one of game four to end it. This is the Spanish call to finish things off. Patazo, hola, pelota imparable. El juego se va a empatar. Pierde la pelota en el central Taylor. Viene el tiro hacia el home. No hay nadie. A Rosarena está anotando. ¡Qué juego! En la Serie Mundial se ha empatado. They just lose it at the end. I have no idea what they said, but I would imagine it was something to the effect of, I can't believe what I just saw. That's incredible. We need to send guy, it to, I don't know if that guy or Brett Phillips, whose heart rate got <laughs> we up We need more. to send it to Polo from the Cardinals broadcast Spanish team and have him break down that because there was a lot of excitement in that call. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. It's 11-11. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We'll have 
Gabe DeArmond of Power Mizzou coming up at 1230 to talk about a massive victory for the Tigers. That's coming up at 1230 today. Clayton Kershaw officially shifting the narrative. We'll get to that a little bit later on. But coming up next, a quick brief game of One Gotta Go. World Series finish edition. One Gotta Go coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. ESPN. So earlier today, Jamie, I was listening to Scott Miller, who was on with Carriker and Smallman. Millsy! Our boy Millsy. And I thought he may have brought up a really interesting point. He was talking about a game four unbelievable moment. But no, it doesn't quite live up to game six of 2011. The David Freeze game, you know, the, the, the Cardinals-Rangers game, that's still number one for me. That was 2011, yeah. That game, I think, for me, was that's still number one. The two errors... That's never happened in a World Series game before. A walk-off in play in which there were two errors committed on that play. I mean, it, it was unbelievable. So I went back and I was thinking, I was like, okay. So obviously game four, we're going to remember that forever. And part of this is that it was a moment, right? Like there are other games that maybe are more memorable than what we saw on Saturday. But the moment, the fact that it all happened on that final play and that was the way that the game was won, that's what's memorable about it. I mean, I'll always remember the Bloody Sock game. We're always going to remember game seven of the 2016 World Series when the Cubs finally won their World Series. There will be other games. Game seven for me of the 2014 World Series when Madison Bumgarner came in in relief. That was unbelievable. There's other games that are memorable or other series that because a team comes back from 3-0 or something like that, they are memorable. But what was memorable about this was a moment. It was a particular moment in time in that game. So let's go back. Let's start by listening to, of course, the play-by-play of David Freeze, Game 6, 2011. That's got to be, for me, the gold uh, gold medal winner of moments in the World Series over the last 20 years. That's got to be the gold, gold <laughs> medal winner. Like, there's nothing else that quite tops that. That is number one for me. For you? Okay. And I understand it. It's up there. Now, you got to time warp with me here okay. a little bit. Alex, pay attention. Okay. Follow, follow the laser. Okay. Go back to 1993. I'm playing hockey up in northern Ontario in Canada. And Wild Thing Williams is on the mound, and he throws a pitch, and Joe Carter smashes yep. that thing over the wall to go back-to-back. Back. That, to me, I'll never forget. I just happened to be in a local watering hole at the time. <laughs> I, I, I can't believe that. I got lost. Stunning. I, I figured I might as well go in. I'm here now. And everybody in there, obviously, being in Canada, the only Canadian team at the time, I think the Expos were already gone at that point. It was a big deal, and so that, for me, sticks big time. And yes, David Freeze, that one, I was here in St. Louis for that, 
It was amazing. So both of those moments are incredible. So the another one that I would definitely throw into the hopper here. And 6570 knows the Air Comfort Service X line. What do you think are the best World Series moments of the last 20 years? But if you want to go back further, like Jamie, I was one year old in 1993. I wasn't watching that well, one Well, that's live. why I was like, you got a time warp <laughs> with me here because that was a massive, massive home run. Absolutely. And, and we certainly remember it now. Like, I can go back and watch it on YouTube and stuff, but I just, I wasn't in that moment, so I don't have the same visceral reaction and to it. And I believe it. it was the last 20 years, correct? That's what we're I, doing I, you know what? Okay. He said something that. Nope. Follow Alex. along with me, Rivs. Follow the light. Follow the light. It's fine. Follow the light. Um, right to the end of your nose. That's going to happen at some point. What other moments from the last twenty years? But again, if you want to go back further, like Jamie, you've got a yeah. you've got a longer history that you yeah, can some draw of us back are older on. than you guys. Okay. Sure. Uh, I would love to hear some of those as well. <laughs> Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line because for me, Game Four on Saturday is going to be in this type of a uh, type of allure. Yeah. Whenever we look back on it, I also wanted to go back to two thousand two thousand and one. Jamie, because at that point, I was old enough to be watching this one. And of course, it's Diamondbacks, Yankees, Diamondbacks pulling off what was one of the biggest upsets that you could possibly imagine. Ends of a lifetime for Luis Gonzalez. 2-2, bottom of the ninth, game seven of the World Series. Bases loaded. Floater, center field, the Diamondbacks are world champions. I mean, the fact that that was against Mariano Rivera, who who seemed invincible at the time, like it was impossible that that could possibly happen. This D- Diamondbacks team was like, are we really going to see them win the World Series against the Yankees? And you got to remember the backdrop at the time. Like this Yankees team was in the middle of a dynasty. Well, they had everybody. Yeah. It, it was it was Literally. unbelievable. Literally. Yeah. And so you're going into the series and I gave the Diamondbacks no shot as a nine year old prognosticator of sports at the time. Um, <laughs> Just imagine that breakdown. BK Owen so, teams <laughs> at nine years old. Way to go, BK. And so you you see this happen, and you're like, I I keep going back to this, but I can't believe what I'm watching right now. And so Luis Gonzalez gets that hit. What would you have, guys, as the memories that you're going to look back on? And you're like, I uh, that moment for me was just up there in the lore. Like, is there something that immediately comes to mind sports-wise where you kind of have that visceral reaction the way that we do here in St. Louis with, of course, Game 6 or what we saw on Saturday night or 2001 with the Diamondbacks coming back in the ninth inning. Is there something that immediately comes to mind for you, Jamie? Yeah, you know, look, at uh, when I was a, a kid, they had Team Canada versus Russia, and it was 86, I believe. Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux, imagine that. They're on the same line. It was an incredible team. And in the last game, it came down to, they, they go down the ice. It was a three-on-one, but two of the guys were Gretzky and Lemieux. Gretzky passed it to Lemieux, and he puts it top shelf on the Russian goalie, and I think everybody, every TV in Canada was on for that game, and people were, like, running out in the streets after, and I'll never forget, that was huge. Uh, another moment, Sidney Crosby for Team Canada, Olympic gold medal overtime winner, and I got to tell you, uh, for me as a fan, as crazy as it is, the Pat Maroon goal last yeah, year yeah. with with uh, against the Dallas Stars, I know that... It's not like I'm a little kid at the time, but I am watching the game and I am a fan at that time. And and that reaction from Pat Maroon and the people here in St. Louis and the city the next day, just buzzing. To me, that was one of the biggest goals as well. Yeah, and for Pat Maroon as well for me because I... (laughs) I was doing Cardinals pre and post down the street at Bush Stadium and had to run all the way back <laughs> during the intermission between first and second overtime. So I made it in the building just in time. But it, for me, it's hard to outduel game six of the 2011 World Series. 
and Game 7 of that Boston Bruins Blue Stanley Cup because being in Boston and watching Petro score that goal with seconds remaining in the first period because I'll never forget it. I was watching Brad Marchand on the ice skate to the bench and like, what are you doing, yeah, bro? Was, and then oh. you just open it up. But, I mean, Game 6, I mean, I'll never forget. I was at Lindenwood in school. My current wife and I, at the time, just girlfriend and boyfriend, we were watching it and we didn't move from the couch watching that game. And as soon as David Freeze hit that walk-off winner, we went outside and everyone on campus was honking horns, celebrating. So, I mean, it's hard to outduel that, but there are so many of them. I mean, you go through anything and it's going to pop into your main Another one that just popped in as you're going through them, Alex, is Kirk Gibson. Yeah, absolutely. The, the home run. Like, I remember the whole story behind this guy could barely walk up to the plate yeah. and then he cracks one and then he can barely run around the bases. Like, he barely got around. Adrenaline alone got him around and, and yeah. I'll never forget that. Either. I think what stands out to me about and this just kind of came to mind as I was watching game game four on Saturday what an unbelievable decade for not just baseball, but for sports as a whole in terms of like the national title games or the championship games in individual sports, because we had some incredible Stanley Cup final. We had unbelievable World Series. We had this this decade. Cardinals versus Rangers went seven games. Giants versus Royals went seven games. Cubs Indians, seven games. Astros versus Dodgers, seven games. Last year, Nationals versus Astros, seven games. We could see another Depending on what happens tomorrow night in the World Series, we could see another seven-game World Series. That's six over the course of a decade. That is That never happens. And then you look at the other sports. I mean, college basketball, for instance, Duke versus Butler. Do you guys remember the Gordon Jaywater? Close. Yeah. Didn't he have one, though, too? A little further back. Yeah, that was like 30 years ago. <laughs> I wasn't alive at that time, right? This isn't fair. We need to do two separate <laughs> Your games. Your memories need to be saved for another one show. For before you guys were born and after you guys were born. Do you guys remember the Duke versus Butler? <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, I do. 100% I missed Hayward being mm-hmm. right online at the very end, potentially winning the I national championship. They probably had a job at the time. I was probably working. You're locked up in one of those drinking <laughs> holes again, weren't you? Uh, North Carolina versus Villanova yep. was another one that right at the very end went down to the wire. You look at college football, uh, Alabama versus Georgia, Tua's first ever game where he comes in and he saves Alabama in that one. We saw God only knows how many unbelievable Clemson versus Alabama national title games. I mean, it's just been, it has been quite the decade of championship games and we don't typically see this. So I know 2020 has been quite the year for a million different reasons, but it is kind of putting the cap on what has been a an incredible decade of sports for all of us to be able to watch firsthand. And I haven't even brought up the Super Bowls, including multiple that the Patriots were involved okay. in that were awesome. Like as much as I I hate the Patriots, they always seem to play, except for whenever they played the Rams most recently, incredible Super Bowl games. You look at what they had against the Seahawks. Unbelievable. Their 2011 Super Bowl against the Giants. Ridiculous. Like every time they end up in the Super the Bowl. Comeback against the Falcons. Yeah, 28 to 3. That Seahawks victory will forever, well, the loss will forever be known as why the hell did you not run the ball? Yeah, Marshawn Lynch, you have a pickup truck in your backfield <laughs> and you're passing. I don't even care who had that pick, and I know it was Malcolm Butler, but that will forever be known as the blunder by Seahawks. Yeah, it's it's been quite the decade, and I think what we're all going to remember from this World Series is what we saw on Saturday with game number four. And I didn't want to lose sight of that today because I know there was a game five that also took place, and we'll get to Clayton Kershaw and how incredible he was and what the Dodgers 
Dodgers are right on the verge of doing right now. But man, that was that was a special moment. That was crazy. That was a really special moment, and it's going to be remembered in this kind of a lore where you look back and you're like, wow, we we really did watch history that night. And you're always going to remember Brett Phillips for what he did and Randy Rosarena for obviously what he has done all postseason. But then again on Saturday with that re- remarkable run home with Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. All right. It's officially the Tom Brady Buccaneers. He's the owner. He's the general manager. He's the head coach and he's the quarterback. We'll get to some other NFL quick hitters along with that coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Brandon Kylie, it is official. It's official. Tom Brady is officially the quarterback, head coach, GM, and might as well be the owner of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. If you missed it over the weekend, the Bucs decided, hey, you know what? To hell with it. I know we said all offseason we're not interested in Antonio Brown, but, you know, Tom Brady is doing very well. He's the coach, quarterback, <laughs> owner, and general manager of this team. And Football he has operations. decided we are actually signing Antonio Brown. I don't care what Bruce Arians said post game, and he said, hey, Tom Brady had nothing to do with this. Tom Brady had everything to do with it. Stop it. Jamie, now that they've signed A.V., what's your impression of this team that looks right now to be one of the best in the NFL? Okay, guys, I hate to do this. No, I don't. But way back in the beginning of this, before they even played a down together with Tom Brady and Tampa Bay, I said, he's going to get Antonio Brown. I don't care what Arians says. And this offense is going to change. That air attack that Arians likes, that that ain't going to happen. Brady's going to slowly turn it into the Tom Brady offense. And we're there. And look at that. They're winning. And now they've added Antonio Brown. These guys. They it's have infuriating. To be. How is this still happening? How? <laughs> How? But wait, He's 43. 43. 43. He's 43 years old. And on Sunday, he threw for 370 yards and four touchdowns. <laughs> It's supposed to be over. Damn. This was supposed to be over in the Falcons game. That was it. He was down 28 to 3, and he was going to retire. It was over. It was done. I had finally seen the end of Tom Brady. He didn't have to ruin my life anymore. (laughs) I'm terrified of this team. They're incredible. They have the best defense in the NFL right now. Scotty Miller is going for six for 100 and a touchdown. How about our boy Gronk? All of a sudden, Gronk, who was getting very few targets at the beginning. Is he in his prime again? Like, what's going on here? 62 yards, five catches, a touchdown. Gronk lays in the weeds until everyone doesn't expect him, and then he just pounces like he did yesterday. I just think he's getting into football shape again. You know, you have to imagine this guy. No training camp. No training camp. It took the year off. Now he's finally getting back into Gronk shape. Here's what just happened. You now have two Super Bowl contending teams in the Chiefs and the Bucks that are unlimited when it comes to weapons. The difference is the Bucks are a better defensive team. Are you like, okay, let me ask you this, okay? Before, Guys, we, before we dive further, hang on. Hold, hold on. All right. No, that's two hold ons. Do they so cancel each other out? A double hold on? Do we Mike just talk Evans. together? Hold on. Remember we just keep talking. We were told Mike Talking Evans together. was part of the reason why Tom Brady was going down to Tampa Bay. Tom Brady wanted to go there for the weapons, Ooh. right? I thought it was Godwin. 
Mike Evans had two <laughs> targets yesterday and had fewer uh, receiving yards than Leonard Fournette. Well, Leonard Fournette's wow, a Hall Leonard's of Famer, though. Legend, though. Yeah. It's like Frank Lenny Ford. stinks. <laughs> Uncle Lenny's been done for years. <laughs> Uncle Lenny. <laughs> All right, so my question that I was going to get to, do you hate Tom Brady or the Patriots more? Because they're not t- you can't put them as one anymore. Yes. That's <laughs> not no, you have to pick one. <laughs> Fence, take a seat. I think I hate Tom Brady more. Wow. I think I do. He's not even going to be there to eliminate your team early this year. I know, but he's going <laughs> to do it in the biggest stage that they need to. Yeah, he's going to be there to eliminate him late. Like what? That's why BK's really mad. He knows that there's now a team that can beat his Chiefs. So let me ask you guys this, okay? As we dive into this in the NFC, uh, well, the NFC East, okay, let's, okay, so there's three divisions over there. The Buccaneers clearly, I think, are the class of the NFC South. Absolutely. And they're the class of the, the NFC. The NFC North no. has nothing to offer. The, the only NFC. the only speed bump that I think lies ahead of them is the Seattle Seahawks. I, but nope, but not the defense that we just saw against the Arizona Cardinals. The I Bucks, agree. The Bucs are the most well-rounded team in football right now. Full stop. It really pains and, me to hear you And let's say be honest here, Russell, <laughs> you know how much it pains me to say? I'm so happy today. And let's be honest here, Russell Wilson has found the weak spot. Throw, what, three interceptions, two interceptions? Yeah, but I'm not worried about Russ. Ru- Russ is the best quarterback in the league. And again, yeah. full stop. Right, for sure. He's just he's the best. Yeah. He's the best right now. He has the most or touchdowns. Mahomes. Him or Mahomes. I think it's very, very neck and neck. I don't Trust me, I don't think Brady's one of the best QBs. Is he one of the best managers of the game? Absolutely. The way he looked yesterday, he looks like one of the best QBs. Be still. So but that's because he's managing the game the way he can play it. He's changed it around so that he can be successful. So you mentioned the Seahawks, and last night we saw another really great game. This was a really good week of sports. Um, DK Metcalf had what might be one of the most, I know I'm saying this a lot today, one of the most incredible plays I've ever seen in my life. You, you saw the interception. Uh, Russell Wilson throws it down the right sideline, and Buda Baker, who ran a 4-4, Coming out of college, he ran a 4-4-40 in the NFL Combine. He is screaming down the sidelines. It is clearly, this is going to be a pick six. There's nobody between him and the end zone. And DK Metcalf runs 105 yards, reaches 22 and a half miles per hour, and is able to hawk him down. I That was the best play of the game last night, and there were a whole lot of great plays in that game last night. I Listen, guys, to to kind of put this into comparison with like hockey for me, it's like a guy having a breakaway on an open net, and there's a guy that's 10 or 15 feet behind him. Usually the guy with the open net and the breakaway, he skates so damn fast. You're like, where was that speed in the first period, right? Because it's like breakaway mm-hmm. time. And the guy chasing him always feels like he's skating up ice because it's just not as motivating to be on the defensive mm-hmm. side. Well, flip the script. DK Metcalf, that was one of the best efforts. Never mind the fact that he ended up making the play, even if he doesn't get to him before the touchdown. To turn like that, put his head down and go. And not just go. Like He looked like Forrest Gump running down the field He there. was high kneeing it, it down the field. It was incredible. I mean, think about this for a minute. Russell Wilson was the closest person to catch Buda Baker because, of course, he's the quarterback. Yep. DK Metcalf is in the far right corner of the end zone, and he outruns Russell Wilson. Someone put it out on Twitter. Metcalf must be from Wakanda and be the Black Panther because there's no way that's humanly possible what he did. It really was kind of astonishing to watch that in real time, and you're like, what the hell? Because he's catching the guy, and that guy is 
flying. He's got yes. the throttle wide yeah. open. And he the, the the best part, I I didn't see the interview after the game with Buda Baker. I would imagine he's got to be able to see up on the big screen like, <laughs> what in the hell is this? You can hear him coming. I'm telling you, you because at one point he turns and he turns again. He's like, he's almost giving him a hell. Like, no, you're not supposed to catch me. He tweeted after the game about DK Metcalf. He said he's never been caught from behind like that before, ever. Well, he's a, he's a really fast individual. It's not like we're talking about some five flat 40 guy. This dude is a really, really fast player. And he got caught by somebody who's just faster and bigger than everybody. DK Metcalf is the evolution of Terrell Owens. That's that's who he is. He is 6'4". He's 220 he's pounds. Yeah. And he he's runs a 4440. <laughs> he's a monster. You he don't want to owe that guy money. No, no. <laughs> he can't turn. And he had some terrible injury issues in his college career. But that dude is ridiculous. Yeah. He's already a top 10 receiver in the league. And that kind of a play, that effort, shows me he's going to do whatever it takes to get even better o- over the length of his career. And look how far down that guy was drafted in that draft that year, which is sensational to me. Well, look at the Patriots. Well, Nikhil Harry's a better wide receiver than DK Metcalf. Clearly. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax mm-hmm. line to get involved in the show. Final thing here. Uh, we, we didn't talk much about the Browns versus the Bengals game leading into the weekend, and for good reason. First of all, really fun game. Second of all, best game so far, maybe in Baker Mayfield's career, certainly after the first five attempts that he had. He was basically perfect in that game. Jamie, I left more impressed with Joe Burrow. Oh, yeah, for sure. And this is not a shot against Baker Mayfield. No, it Again, is. It's okay, though. He had a really good game, <laughs> finished, the, finished the day with 300 yards passing. Joe Burrow is the real deal. And I I don't know what the ceiling is for him moving forward. I don't know if he's going to be a top five, top ten. I don't know where he's going to rank ultimately among the quarterbacks. But if they can surround him with a better offensive line and maybe a little better play, play calling, this guy is going to be a stud for years to come. If they can give him any kind of a team at all. OK, like right now he's operating with very little and he's still throwing 400 yards, three t- touchdowns. Heck, how many 300 plus games has he had this year? Almost all of them. almost yeah. every single game. Right. So imagine that if you could give him a little better offensive line, a few more weapons and maybe a defense that can play that team is dramatically different. And I think that Joe Burrow and Tua next week, we'll find out what he's got and to put it all on like right away like that. Mm-hmm. That's unfair. We'll find out throughout the course of the season, what Tua has to offer. But guys, I'm telling you right now, Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert, Herbert too. Those guys My are God. incredible. They yeah. both run really well. They're big guys. They manage the game. They stand in the pocket. They're patient. The poise that they have. I'm like, wow. The difference between Herbert and Burrows right now is the fact that Herbert, I know, I did it again. It's just... His guys, name is Joe Burrow. Guys, it's singular. Okay, he had 406 to yards. Can you give him no, some respect? I will call him whatever I want to call him. Joe Burrows threw 400 whatever yards. The difference, though, is Justin Herbert has a defense that can make the team competitive. Cincinnati yeah. just gives up 30-plus points every single game, and Burrow just... There you go. There you go, bud. Burrow just goes out there Feels and... good, doesn't it? No, not really. Flings okay. it nonstop, but... I'm done with the A.J. Green experiment. He's had an unbelievable career. 
it's over for him. He's done. It's time to move on from AJ Green. They should trade him elsewhere. Get these young guys more opportunities. T. Higgins is a lot of fun to watch. They've got some really good receivers in Cincinnati. By the way, yesterday he played without even having a real running game. It was Gio Bernard next to him because <laughs> Mixon was out with an injury, and it sounds like he might be out for a little 81 while. 81 total yards rushing. That's including Burrow's 34 yeah, yards. Yeah, I mean, their, their <laughs> running backs had 30, 40 yards on the ground in that game. It was it was the Joe Burrow show, and that's what it's going to be moving forward. He's, he's really impressive. There are a lot of really fun young quarterbacks in the league right now. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 the Air Comfort Service X line. Questions and answers coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. This one comes from the 618. Guys, could it turn out that New England actually does end up with Trevor Lawrence next season? May end up being able to take him first overall after all. <laughs> I don't know if you can be any worse than the Cowboys right now. That's going to have to be some effort. The Jets? No, I think the Cowboys are worse than the Jets. They got a concussed Andy Dalton. Yeah. Who's their third string quarterback? Ezekiel Elliott can't catch a ball or hold, or hold on to a ball. To That's the biggest They problem. have no offensive line. Their defense, we play better uh, than that. It, here's the thing. It's going to be really hard for them what, to fall that far in the draft. Well, what do the Patriots have that like other teams could target like trade wise draft picks if they finish bad enough to where it's not that much of a move up for them to get to number one what could they offer a team get rid of some defensive players yeah, i mean they're just gonna have to trade off a bunch of draft picks they don't have a ton that that's the thing is this then we saw it whenever the jets are own seven even the texans and jacksonville you don't think jacksonville could use a trevor lawrence yeah there's just as much as i don't wish that on him but them and the number one pick the, the giants are still in the running the best thing for the Danny NFL. Dimes, exactly why the Giants are still in the running. <laughs> hey. The best thing for the NFL, and I, I don't think this will happen because as we just talked about, Joe Burrow's really good, would be the Bengals finishing with the number one pick and all offseason everybody's talking about who's going to trade up to number one. Because then everybody's in play, right? It's a, it's a question of who can offer the Bengals the best pick because there's no reason that they would take Trevor Lawrence. No. They love Joe, Joe Burrow. He's the answer there. He's going to be the answer. I'll there. say this. Football as a whole, the NFL needs the New York Jets to get him. They do. That, that New York market. That that organization, though, I, is such a bleak show. They're, but, yeah. they're so far away. They're, you can't put a quarterback on that team and say, oh, well, they're going to be better now. Like, it's not right. Joe Burrow. I'm it talking from a them. marketing standpoint, all that stuff. That's I would say Lawrence the Giants, wins. too, because they're still in the running. Of course, they have Daniel Jones. But if Trevor Lawrence was there, I would absolutely take him and tell Danny Dimes, I'm sorry, go pound pavement. You know, I'm, I, that's if Lawrence even wants to go to New York. Well, that's, that's he may the other not have story a choice. Here. It might be New York or New York. Well, but <laughs> he could go back for his last year, right? Uh, you guys yeah. remember what Eli did, too? I mean, I, I don't know if that works in 2020. Eli did it because he wanted to go to the New York I know, market. but he said he would not play for the Chargers. Now, again. I would love them to call his bluff on that one. I'm with you. And they ended up getting Phillip Rivers out of that as a result. But Justin Fields is a really good quarterback in this year's draft as well. If you watched Ohio State over the weekend, that kid, he is a stud. An absolute star in the making. So there's a few quarterbacks in this year's class. I'll be interested to see how that goes. Uh, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, was last night's Sunday Night Football game the game of the year so far? It's gotta be, right? I don't know. That Steelers and Titans one was entertaining. Yeah, but th- that Cardinals game just went back and forth so much. I mean, that's 
Yeah, I mean, I guess. There's something about two undefeated teams that are playing each other, though, that that makes me glued to the screen. And I mean, even though the Titans were still down by what, three touchdowns, three possessions, you still knew they were going to make a game of it after halftime. And they did. I mean, that that to me was the game of the week in my eyes. What else would be up there? Because, I mean, the the Bucks versus the Bears was a fun game, but it was ugly, ugly to watch. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess so. I guess if you're looking at... Did you not have fun last night? Did you not think that was that exciting? It was all right. Did you watch? I did watch. Are you lying? I'm not lying. I'll tell you if I didn't watch. I'd be like, I have no idea because I didn't watch. <laughs> the only reason I say that is because I... What, you didn't think it was that much fun? I, I, I don't know. I never I felt missing? like I was glued to the TV. You know, like that feeling like you remember when you watch a game? Like I was watching it. And... You didn't have the Saturday World Series feel to it. Exactly. I don't know, I, man. I, I that was wild. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's because it was the Cardinals. Maybe because it was Arizona. I, I mean, from ex- I like them, but... Speaking from experience, when there's money on the line, every game is the most incredible game of the week. Yeah, I had a nice fantasy day yesterday. Uh, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 3148. Hey, BK, do you think that Mizzou can beat Florida this weekend? Because I think they can. All right. We're going to get more into this coming up at 1230. Uh-oh. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, Jamie. Oh, my God. Drink. I like the way you did that. I'm officially in. He has me all in. They beat the hell out of Kentucky on Saturday. I know the final score says 20 to 10. Kentucky had fewer plays in that game than any SEC team has had in a single game in the last 20 years. Mizzou was on and off the field defensively. They ran the hell out of the, the ball. They finished with 220 yards on the ground. Connor Bazelak did exactly what he needed to. That being said, to answer the question, I don't think that they will beat Florida. I think it's like a 10 and a half point spread last I checked. I, that sounds about right to me. Oh, it's up to 14. Wow. Um, <laughs> Whoops. Whoa. Hey, you. I would take Mizzou plus the points. I would take Mizzou to cover that spread. I think At they 14? lose by yeah, less than 14 that. in this one. But I think it's a 7 to 10 point game. I think Florida wins with the big disclaimer of let's see what's going on with the COVID cases for Florida. They had like 25 guys that couldn't play last weekend if the game were to be played then. So I'll be interested to see how many of their players are not eligible to play on Saturday. And that could change things completely. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers to get involved in the show. Jamie? Uh Uh-oh. Let's go back over to the NFL. Okay. Is it officially time to worry about the Patriots? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I was worried about him after last week and watching Cam Newton, who is he's not even there. Like if you look at Cam's first couple of games for the Patriots this year, he was dominating. He was a presence on the field. He's nothing right now. He doesn't even want to be there. He's done, man. He is so done for playing football. Are you starting to wonder if Bill Belichick is mentally checking out? No chance. I think what's happening here is Bill is upping the ante. He's actually getting more intense, and Cam Newton can't handle it, so Cam's going the other way. But defensively, 33-6. to six. Like, just, Well, they, they have well, how many starters are they missing because they opted out? Like six. Six, six on the defensive six side. On the yeah. Defensive yeah, but side. the first couple of weeks, their defense was as solid as can be. Bill can do what Bill can do uh, with what he's got, but I'm just saying right now, I don't think Belichick is, is checking out. There's no way. It's not in his blood. There's no way at no. all. He's probably pushing the guys he has right now too hard and they can't deal with it. Is he crying in his office with a framed photo of Tom Brady? He might be. He might actually sleep at night with a Brady jersey on. I think sometimes we make this harder than it is. 
Um, here's their leading receivers on the season. Julian Edelman, number one. Okay, I'll give you that. Julian Edelman's a good player. He hasn't looked like himself, but a good He's player. He's legit. Hurt too, I think, right? Feelings. <laughs> Ego. <day>. Ego. <laughs> Demir Bird is number two with Who? 200 yards Larry? on the season. He has zero touchdowns. Nikhil Harry is third with 170 yards on the year. Yeah. Then you go through two running backs, James White and Rex Burkhead. Uh, Ryan Izzo, who is their starting tight end, is up next. Uh, Jacoby Myers, who has been no good his entire career. And then suddenly you're down to Damian Harris, who has 25 receiving yards on the year. The pass catchers stink on this team. They've been terrible for a few years now. This is why Tom Brady was like, I'm all the way up out of here. You guys are not getting the talent around me to make me look good. I'm 43 years old. I can't do this anymore. Imagine he would have, yeah, total good read by Tom Brady to be like, you know what? I'm looking at the pieces around me here. I got a couple more years left, and this is not going to be it. I'm not Patrick Mahomes anymore. I can't. Well, he never was. He could never run around like that. So forget about it. You know what he did, Jamie? He pulled a LeBron. So the LeBron always says the basketball. He, he puts it under different terms, but oh, come basically, on. There's five guys on a court. One guy makes a difference. Come on. Yeah, but what I'm saying is the basketball situation gets worse somewhere. In Miami, it got worse because Dwayne Wade got old and then Chris Bosh wasn't. He has some injury issues. So he goes back to Cleveland. He's got Kyrie Irving. He's got Kevin Love. The basketball situation's better over here. I know it was all about home and all of this stuff. No, no the way. basketball situation was better there. The basketball situation got worse in Cleveland. And he's like, yeah, hey, I'm going over to L.A. At first, the basketball situation was worse, but then we realized, oh, he's getting AD. Okay, well, that's a much better basketball situation than what was taking place in Cleveland. Same thing for Tom Brady. Yeah, I agree. He looked around his surroundings, and he was like, this team stinks. I'm going to go down to Tampa Bay, where they've got a really good defense that's coming together. They've got Chris Godwin. I'm going to bring down Antonio Brown. I'm going to bring down Rob Gronkowski. (laughs) I'm going to implement my offense. (laughs) And it's going to be great. (laughs) 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. So Clayton Kershaw is officially shifting the narrative on who he is as a playoff pitcher. And it couldn't happen at a better time. Talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. One, two, swing and a miss. Got him on a fastball up and in. And that is a new record. He tied it last inning and he breaks it right now. 206, 206 strikeouts of the postseason for Clayton Kershaw surpassing Justin Verlander. And Kershaw just threw the ball out of play. Kershaw picks up an MV, or MVP, picks up a postseason record last night. Most strikeouts ever in the postseason. And he's been great this postseason, Jamie. He's 4-1 and one overall. He's pitched 30 innings. He has, in those 30 innings, a 2.9 ERA. Opponents are batting just 211 against him. He's been super impressive. This is not the guy that we typically think of when we think, oh, Kershaw, he's going to get to the postseason. He's going to blow up. We talked about this last week, early in this series, after his first performance, and Kershaw is changing the narrative right in front of our very eyes. He is showing us that, hey, I can still do this. I can make it through a postseason and my team can win the World Series, not despite me, but because of what I am doing on this stage. And it's it's awesome to see because this is one of the best pitchers of his generation, maybe the best pitcher of his generation, one of the greatest regular season pitchers we've seen. And now finally, he's able to get this monkey off of his back. And now through the first two games in this World Series has been spectacular when he's been on the mound. And I thought the biggest thing last night, Jamie, was Dave Roberts took him out early. 
Dave Roberts did not try to do what they've done so many times in the past, which is, okay, we're going to leave him in there, leave him in there, leave him there. Oh, oh, no, it blew up on him. Last night, they were willing to take him out a little bit earlier than you probably would have liked to have seen as a fan. And as a result, we look back on his numbers. We look at the fact that they won that game. The bullpen did not implode. And the Dodgers are able to take a three to two series lead moving into game number six tomorrow night. Yeah, I mean, look, I thought it was a great job taking him out early. We talked about it before the World Series even started about leaving a guy in there for just a few too many batters. And then it changes everything. And I think this was wise. I think that Clayton Kershaw has had a great World Series. What's kind of like astonishing to me is the amount of strikeouts he's mm-hmm. building up. And, you know, you're talking to a few guys uh, in the baseball world and you listen, and they, he really doesn't have an arsenal of pitches. He's pretty straightforward, and yet he gets people to miss a lot, which is pretty incredible. And so he, he is. He's changed the narrative. Now, if the Dodgers go on and win the World Series, that will be changed kind of forever because now he has a ring to go with good performances. If they don't cash in and win the World Series, he'll have changed it, but still, eh, could never get that ring. That's the part for me, too. I mean, this has to do with getting a ring more than anything. I think yep. the narrative has shist- have shifted this season, but it's always kind of been like, Kershaw's a great pitcher, but he has that one blow-up inning. And that was about managing, right? Like, that's Dave Roberts or whoever the manager is. Take him out when you have the opportunity to and let the bullpen work. He's getting run support this postseason, which is huge for Clayton Kershaw, because if you go back and look at it, I mean, his teams get him, what, two, three runs, and then it's like, oh, this, is, was still, always a problem. this yeah. is still a one-run game and then you get the bombs by Matt Adams or Matt Carpenter and you're talking differently but you still have to get that ring right like you can be the Alex Ovechkin which I don't think you guys have mentioned that yet today right yeah okay no, good the summer on you're, you're you're still setting records of the postseason you're still an incredible pitcher but if you didn't win the World Series that's always going to hang over your head if you're Clayton Kershaw yeah I think it's much like Dan Marino I think that Clayton Kershaw has been so dominant as a regular season pitcher for so long now that it's it's somewhat in the same discussion as Dan Marino. Yep. And anytime you bring up Terry Bradshaw, all these legendary guys, they all have rings. Peyton Manning's got a ring. Tom Brady's got too many. But anyways, Dan Marino has none. So he's over on an island by himself as one of the greatest NFL quarterbacks ever, but he doesn't have a ring. Clayton and only Kershaw, went to the one. Yeah, that's the other thing. Oh, yeah, I know. He only got to the big dance once. And Clayton Kershaw, same for him. This amazing dominant pitcher. Uh, the postseason has kind of been sketchy. World Series, he's, I don't think he's ever had a great World Series, and he doesn't have a ring yet. I, I do wonder this is what is his legacy if he, if we move forward here and we go down the hypothetical of the Dodgers win this in six? They, they take care of business tomorrow night. Dodgers are your new World Series champion. How much does that change the legacy for him? Because like 10 years down the road, I'm thinking, what do we look back on Clayton Kershaw's career and think? We At that point, we don't talk about any of the postseason failures, right? Nope. I mean, if we're comparing him to the all-time greats, maybe that's when that comes in because you've got to kind of pick and choose what matters at that point. You've got to po- poke and prod to be able to show the differences in the all-time greats. But if we're just saying like Clayton Kershaw, how will he be remembered? I don't think at that point you bring up the postseason failures anymore. No, because if he cashes out and wins a ring, that's all that matters. That's all people talk about. It's just the same as you want to talk about numbers. Grant Fuhr, Hall of Fame goalie. Yeah. Check out his numbers. Not great. Not a great save percentage. Not a great goals against. But he's got five Stanley Cup rings, and he's a Hall of Famer because of it. Do you talk about Grant Fuhr having a bad goals against? Do you talk about a save? No. 
You're talking about a legendary performer who elevated his game in big moments, which he did, and he won five Stanley Cups. That's that's the narrative. Mm-hmm. So Clayton Kershaw, to me, by winning a ring, and he's performed well. That will be that's all that be remembered. The part that gets me too is like I think you're going to get a, a mass majority of people with Clayton Kershaw that when you hear the name you think oh well this guy gave up some big moments in the playoffs even if you win a World Series like people will remember Matt and I'm not just talking in St. Louis like nationally people remember the Cardinals beating Clayton Kershaw and having his number but the World Series just solidifies the fact that people say well this was an elite pitcher in the regular season but could never get it done in the postseason regardless of the numbers regardless of the games that he gave up they're going to remember him, but they're also going to recognize the fact that this was a World Series champion, might be multiple World Series champion if the Dodgers continue, and then you got the all-time strikeout leader in the postseason, which is another kind of feather in the cap for Kershaw. I was about to say, don't forget, he's got one more year left on his deal, and based on what we're seeing from the Dodgers this postseason, I would not be surprised if they're back again next year. This team is loaded. From top to bottom, pitching, defense, uh, base running, they have it all. They've got everything that you could possibly want from a baseball team. It's there right now out in L.A. And they have this hot-rated prospect in all of baseball, Gavin Lux. Yeah. And he's not even on the playoff roster right now. He didn't even make the active <laughs> roster for the postseason. He plays the same position, shortstop, as the guy that is almost certainly going to win the World Series MVP if the Dodgers end up winning this tomorrow night, and Corey Seager. Corey Seager's been unbelievable. He's a free agent after next year. I have no idea what the plans are going to be for the Dodgers with that one because they've got a clear replacement who's going to be cheap in Gavin Lux, but we haven't seen him in the bigs. So I'll be fascinated on that. When we do get to the postseason next year, I am going to be interested to see how many teams are able to make that, Jamie. And Rob Manfred was on Sirius XM MLB radio over the weekend, and they asked him, hey, 16 teams this year in the postseason. Is that something you're looking at potentially for next year? He seems to be looking at something a little bit smaller than that. 60 was a different kind of test, and we ought to give more people um, the opportunity to participate in the postseason. I would not do that going forward. I think that um, expanded playoffs are good um, for baseball. I, I loved the two out of three series in that week with the bracket and the game on, you know, all the time. Uh-huh. Basically, I think it was really good for the sport. Uh, but I think the trick is to identify a number of teams in a format that creates incentives to win divisions and play hard through the end of the year so that you have that drama. What do you guys think? Is it 12 teams or 14 teams that makes the most sense? Because it's not going to be 10. We're not going back to that. It's going to be expanded in some capacity. It's not going to be 16, clearly. So you got two choices. Are we going with the 12 or the 14? I don't think they're going to go with an odd number. Maybe I'm wrong here. But what do you think makes more sense? Honestly, I know traditionalists may want to just torch me for this, but I go 14. Try to get as many as you can. This year was actually compelling to have series to start it. Not a one-game elimination, the wild-card game. I always thought that that was, I don't know. I, I didn't like it. As much as it was thrilling at times, I thought that this year with the two out of three to start it was a great way to start the playoffs, and then you move into a little bit of normalcy after that. I think more teams, the better. I think that it will inspire teams to play harder down the stretch. It will have fans more engaged into the last few games where you have more teams that are able to make the playoffs. How many times over the last decade, even longer, you look and there's teams that are eliminated halfway through the season, not even a chance to make it. And not just the bottom dwellers, like teams that are like third place in their division are out of it because there's just no way they can catch the Dodgers. 
or whoever else yep. is ahead of them. So I think the more the more important games you can put into a regular season, the better it's going to be as far as your your fans were engaged for a longer period of time. See, I'd go with twelve. I just I felt like when you had sixteen, and I get sixteen's the high number, but even with fourteen, you're getting a couple of teams in there that, that don't deserve to be in there when it comes to postseason play. And I get it, they're compelling, but I think you want to make that final month, month and two weeks of the season impactful to kind of eliminate those weed out those teams that aren't supposed to be there. And then once you get into the twelve, you have the best twelve teams going at it. I just I don't know. I feel like it, it it takes away from postseason play when you have 14 or 16 teams. Did you feel like the postseason was taken away from this year? Because I thought I was going to feel the way that you do. I really did. Yeah, Alex. And I didn't feel that way this year. I, I felt like the playoffs this season were were every bit as exciting and entertaining as everybody said they would be. I felt like in those first round, though, there was a couple of games that that you could have put up against different matchups and would have been better. You get rid of Toronto, and whoa, I think you put... Uh, well, sorry, buddy. Whoa. Sorry, buddy. Nothing against Canada. They been playing Buffalo all year. <laughs> I think if you play Tampa against one of those other teams in the AL in that first round, it's a little bit more compelling. The same with the Milwaukee Brewers. I get Milwaukee was a decent team, but two games against the Dodgers like that felt like that didn't even need to happen. But and two the games, how many Reds. did we say? Imagine, you know, anything can happen. You win game one, anything can happen. Would you have been happy, though, if the Milwaukee Brewers took down the Dodgers in that first round? Yeah. See, I wouldn't have, because you're taking out the best team. So what? Then what happens is the rest of the crop or the the rest of the group have better chance of winning. I think I've got a middle ground for you guys. I think I found something that might be able to work for them. 13 teams. teams. No, it's 14. 13 and a half. Here we go with that half again. Over or under. (laughs) Seven teams in each league. So 14 total over the course of the season. And the, the top two seeds get a bye. They get a buy into the DS, basically, right? So they get a buy, and then you've got the four versus five in the wild card, quote-unquote, round. You've got the three seed, the last division winner, the division winner with the lowest record. They are having to play in the DS, unlike the, or the wild card round, rather, unlike the other top two seeds. Now you've got six versus seven in a one-game playoff series to get into that wild card round versus the three seed. So six versus seven seed, you're having, again, those 14 teams. They have to play a game. They're using their best pitcher to be able to get into that wild card round to be able to play the three seed. So it gives that three seed, that division winner, a little bit of an advantage over the six versus the seven seed. You're giving the top two seeds a little bit of an advantage of not having to play in that first round. They get the bye. And I think that might be the way that you're able to make it happen. It would have to be a three-game series in that first round between the three versus six or seven and the four versus the five. So that way you're not having too much of a layoff for those top two seeds. But I think it allows those top two seeds to be able to set their pitching staffs the way that they would want to. They get a little bit of time off after the regular season. And now you've got that first round that they're looking for to be able to get that extra revenue as well. What do you guys think about that? I'm good with that. Yeah. I mean... It makes it entertaining, which I guess is the most important factor. I just love the fact that it gives a little bit a little bit more incentive to win your division. Because right now, this year, what they did, there was no incentive whatsoever for you to have to win the division. It, yeah. was, it was the same if you were a wild card team as it was if you were a division winner. And they've got to give something for you to go for that. Otherwise, what's the point? What's the point in making that big deal at the deadline to be able to win your division? You, you've got to give some sort of an incentive for that. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. The Cardinals can learn a lesson from the New England Patriots and from Tom Brady in particular. Tell you what that is coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. 
with Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. I think we're learning something really important about Belichick. And it's relevant for the Cardinals as well. The St. Louis Cardinals, of course. Careful what you say about Bill. So You too, Alex. Bill <laughs> Belichick, on your face. one of the greatest coaches in the history of football. No questions asked. The. Probably. Thank you, Alex. I didn't do that. A great football mind. He's the general manager of the team. Over the course of his time at in New England, I think you can say has been a, a successful general manager. A really good general manager. Yeah, I cringe on that one a little bit. Here's what. Here's where we go to the next step of the lesson that the Cardinals can learn from the Patriots. That changes when you delete the most important ingredient to what he did in New England. When Tom Brady leaves, when you don't have that chess piece, you don't have the queen on the table anymore to play your chessboard. Suddenly, it becomes a lot more difficult <laughs> to be able to win the way the Patriots want to. You can't go 20 years without taking a, a wide receiver in the first round and look good still when Tom Brady is no longer on the roster. You can't let guys walk a year too early as opposed to a year too late. When Tom Brady's not on the roster, you can't uh, pre- prevent yourself from signing some of the best players in free agency because you don't want to give out a $20 million a year contract when Tom Brady's not out there. It kind of goes to the Cardinal side of things as well. When Albert Pujols was here, they can build the way they're currently building and everything's going to be okay because they've still got Albert in the middle of that order. And you always know, okay, at least we've got Albert Pujols there. Same thing was true whenever they had Carlos Beltran and Matt Holliday. Same thing was true when Matt Holliday and Matt Carpenter was at the top of his career. When you've got those guys and you know, okay, we can at least make sure that we're counting on these two. You can build basically however you want to around them. And as long as you've got the above average players lined up and the pitching that the Cardinals have always had, you're going to succeed. And that was the case for the Patriots with Tom Brady. As long as you've got a good defense and Belichick was always going to have that. And you've got a few capable guys around Tom Brady. You're going to be good enough to where you'll get to the postseason. And we know they'll be good once they get there. This is where things have come crumbling down for the Patriots. You remove Tom Brady from the equation and suddenly we're watching what the result is. You remove Albert Pujols and Matt Holliday and prime Matt Carpenter from the equation, Carlos Beltran from the equation here in St. Louis. And we've seen what the result is. It's better here in St. Louis than it has been for the Patriots so far this year. But that's the difference. They're missing that key ingredient. You're missing the transcendent player in the middle of the order. You're missing the transcendent quarterback right now out in New England. And that's the difference between the way that they can build when they have that player and the way they have to build now that they don't. you got to find the next guy that's going to be able to fill in at least 80 percent of what that previous player was giving you. Yeah. And look, if we're if we're drawing the comparisons here and I'll start with New England, uh, Bill Belichick, I think, started out very good as a GM. I think that the mindset was good. He also took a gamble on a lot of. Projects like Randy Moss coming in there, one of the best wide receivers mm-hmm. of all time. But he was a project. He had a bunch of guys come through like that, that that hit, right? And so it made him look like a genius. As his career has gone on and the focus has gone more towards coaching, I think as a GM, he's lacked a lot. Like you said, he hasn't drafted players to compliment because he's had Tom Brady. So it comes down to, should he have drafted a quarterback and got a guy in there for the last two, three years of Brady. I know Jimmy G was the guy, but apparently Jimmy G had to go. He was there too early. And I just think that Bill Belichick without Brady is a different animal altogether. 
But to your point, wrapping it back around to the Cardinals on this one, yeah, you can afford to go through some prospects. You can afford to go through some feeling out period with some of the younger guys. Who's going to hit? Who's going to miss? This, that, the other. When you have Albert and some of the other guys that can carry the load offensively. When you don't have that guy, I mean, I guess Paul Goldschmidt, but he's not Albert. No. Like, let's be honest here. When you have Albert, no, nobody's Albert. No. In the last twenty years, Albert. No. What Albert was when he was here in St. Louis, it's as good as gets. So when you have that guy in the middle of your lineup, it it lightens the load on everybody else around him. And so that's that's the big difference there between the two. It does. It takes the pressure off guys. It takes the pressure off your second tiered hitters too. Like they don't have to always rise up, rise up. They can just be themselves and you know get on base, get on base, just pluck away. And then Albert clears off the bases. That's mm-hmm. it. So without a guy like that. Yeah, it's harder. It's harder to rebuild or build on the fly. But what do you do? Like the Cardinals, what do you do as a Cardinals team right now? I mean, we've been talking at nauseum about George Springer this, George Springer that, Arenado at third base, Lindor, those guys, that's a fantasy. That ain't going to happen. George Springer is the only one that could be maybe a reality. But guys, like we're talking about Albert Pujols. That's what the team needs. How do you go get that? 65780 is the Air Comfort Service sex line. This is kind of to your point, Jamie, from the 314. You're wrong, and I'm going to tell you why. It's not just one player. We need many good players, and the talent evaluation sucks now. We are way off. Good show as always, though. So, oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> that disclaimer. I think the fast lane would call that a crap sandwich right there. It was a hidden crap sandwich. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So... Here's where I, I, I'm going to disagree with that just a little bit is I, I don't think they're all that far a- away. And I think they do have one really good player right now, as you said, Jamie. They've got one guy that they can count on every night in Paul Goldschmidt. The difference is he's not the uh, he's not to the level of Albert. And so you need more around him than you would have previously around Albert. So you bring in one more really good player. doesn't have to be truly elite, but really good player. And you're at least closing the gap with these other contenders around the league. I mean, we're watching the Rays right now. They're making this a series. They're going to game six down three, two, and with every opportunity to force a game seven against the Dodgers. They're doing so with pitching, with defense, and with a few timely hits here and there. It's not like that's an offense that is just tearing the cover off of the ball outside of Randy or Rosarena. The Cardinals aren't that far away from being that team. So you have to build almost perfectly to be able to do it that way. And this is where it goes back to the Tom Brady comparison of the Patriots. We're going to have to build this thing almost perfectly to be able to reach the same heights that they had under Tom Brady or with Tom Brady at the helm. Uh, that's kind of the the difficult part for the Cardinals. They've got to go out and find that guy now that can fill into that number two role or at least a one B role. So tying this together again, the Patriots guys, they're in trouble. Okay. They're in trouble because they thought Cam Newton was going to be the answer, carry them through. And then they could rebuild slowly without being terrible. Cam Newton's not the answer and they have nothing coming. So the Patriots are at risk right now of being really bad for an extended period of time, okay, or just below average, whatever you, okay, whatever you want to call it. Cardinals are at risk, too. The same thing. If they cannot go find another bat, Tyler O'Neill didn't live up. Harrison Bader's incredible defensively, great hair, great guy, but he's just not very good at the plate, not good enough, okay? Dexter Fowler is Dexter Fowler. Go through the lineup. The Cardinals will get worse before they get better if they don't address some of these things. And I think the number one thing that they can do is go out and get one bat. Because then you talk about Paul Goldschmidt. If he's equal 
to Paul Goldschmidt or even better as a hitter, which is hard to do. I get it. But at least the pressure comes off of both of those guys. Then you have a Dylan Carlson. Maybe it's easier for him to swing the bat because the focus isn't just on him and Goldie. Then you have Paul DeYoung. Now that's another layer of offense that if he can just get hot or be consistent, that's four bats in your lineup now. Mm -hmm. And then we're just beginning. So I think it's essential for the Cardinals' success over the next couple of years that they address this immediately. That's why I think it always comes back to evaluating talent because it's not just evaluating talent through the draft. It's evaluating them through free agency, through trades. you got to know what you're bringing to your team for success, and it goes to the Patriots' way as well. I mean, they're evaluating talent, and if you look at them, they evaluate defensive players awesome. Like, they find gems and turn them into superstars on the defensive side, but they can't do it on the offensive side. you got to be able to find that evaluation of a player to help you in a certain area. The Cardinals are great at pitching. They're great at defensive players. They cannot find offensive gems. And between the Patriots and the Cardinals, you've got to find a way to evaluate that if you want to continue success. Let's not forget something, too. The text line brought it up. There's so many texts that popped there. I've lost it. So whoever you are, you know who you are. But Bill Belichick was allowed to be a good GM because Tom Brady took a lot less as a quarterback for an extended period of time. Yeah. And it allowed them to mix and match and go sign the project players and whatnot. Bring in a secret sauce. It was a secret sauce, 100%. So the Cardinals, I don't think anybody's going to stand there and say, I oh, guess what, I'll just take you know a way below what I deserve. <laughs> but maybe then the Cardinals have to open up the checkbook a little bit. They also got lucky with Brady marrying Giselle. Like that that's the other part of this that no, we never no, bring up. He did. Yeah, yeah, sure. Brady, be honest Brady got real lucky. But, but Brady not having to make all of the money in the world is in part because his family was already set when he married million Giselle. a year for her. She makes more than he does by a wide margin and that was always going works to like be the three case. 3 times a year. It's amazing. One. And so like if if the Cardinals Boy, if the Cardinals could go out there next offseason and Corey Seager is available and Corey Seager suddenly is dating the equipment equivalent to 2020 Giselle, okay, maybe he'll take a little bit of a discount to come play here, right? I'll play for free. Yeah. I'll play for free. I just don't see that happening. On the point about the Rays, though, we could go up and down these lineups. They're not all that dissimilar. I mean, I I know that one team's playing in the World Series and the other is not, and so it feels like it's a million miles away right now, but... I mean, you look at this Rays lineup. I do, though, before you get started, I do think there's subtle differences in each player. They're close. They're comparable. But the Rays, in my opinion, they're, they're just a little better. Each guy is just a little better. Yeah, because you just look a tick. Because we've talked Kiermaier and Bader, but Kiermaier is always a home run threat, and you never feel like that with the Bader. The numbers are worse from Kiermaier than from Bader. Like, it, like we can go number for number if you want to, but Kiermaier is not a test? better player. The eye test is the same thing. What about like, body language? Yeah. Okay. Expectancy. So, I expected Kiermaier to do well. I did so, Yandy Diaz is a guy that was batting leadoff for them last night. He's a, he's a solid, solid player, and I don't know that the Cardinals have a great equivalence to him. Maybe it is uh, he's a little better version of what the Cardinals have at the plate from Colton Long. I mean, that's, that's about as close as you can get. Randy Rosarena is what you hope the Cardinals are going to be able to get out of Dylan Carlson. We'll see if they can. I don't know if Carlson uh, has that kind of power, though. You I think? I, maybe not. But I'm saying like that. that's the type of impact you hope that Carlson can have. I'm not talking about the historic nature of Carlson this. Carlson are doing push-ups. <laughs> this is unbelievable. Uh, Brandon <laughs> Lau is basically their version, because he's their best hitter, of Paul Goldschmidt. 
Margot is kind of their version, at least at the plate, of what you're getting from Dexter Fowler. Hunter Renfro is kind of their version at the plate of what you get out of, I guess you could call Paul DeYoung for him. Like, uh, uh, they've got a lot of dudes that are very. Kiermaier, we already made the comp. That is their version of Harrison Bader. Zanino is their version of what you're getting out of at this point in his career, at least offensively. Yadier Molina. So it's not all that dissimilar. We just feel like it is because the Cardinals feel so far away from what the Rays are doing right now. That being said, it also took a historic performance in the postseason from Randy Arozarena yeah, for that, them to get there. That doesn't hurt. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Gabe DeArmond covers Mizzou for PowerMizzou.com. We're going to talk to him about what it was an impressive win over the weekend for the Tigers and what it means for them moving forward, along with this head coach, Eli Drinkwitz. Looking pretty good right now. Gabe DeArmond joining us next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. What happened, buddy? What happened, man? The wheels just locked up, huh? I don't know what you guys the are Cincinnati about. Bears? I don't know what you guys are talking about. You know about. better than that. I don't know what you guys are talking about. I, nothing I understand the Bengals and the Bears are very uh, forgettable teams right now. <laughs> but, I mean, the, the, the amount of disrespect that you have shown the Bengals today after what was a really impressive performance yesterday against the Browns is just, it's really unfortunate. You keep calling Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow's That's not Joe disrespectful. That's not disrespectful. That's very disrespectful. No, it's, it's the same thing that happened for years with Chase Daniel is singular. There is no S at the end of it. I don't it. know it's Chase Daniel. I know Chase Daniels. It's unbelievable, man. Get it. Clean it up, look, Ferrario. Look, clean it up. Here's what happened. Do you black out for no, those No, here's what happened. I was going to sure talk about the Chicago right Bears game after the Cincinnati Bengals won, and my eyes jumped right down to the Bears game, and that's where you get the Cincinnati, Cincinnati Bears. Bears. They oh, might be yeah. better if I'm they were the sorry. Cincinnati Bears. I'm sorry, Mr. Two Perfects over here. Never make mistakes. Wow. Speaking of Perfect. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by the one and only Gabe DeArmond. He's the publisher over at Power Mizzou, and he's joining us here on 101 ESPN. Gabe, how you doing today, man? Not bad. What's going on, guys? Oh, not too much, man. Just uh, basking in the glow of what was another Mizzou victory over the weekend, 20 to 10 over Kentucky. And I, I mean, I know that that score sounds like it was a close game. There was maybe about three minutes of real time when it felt close. What did you make of the Tigers just basically giving Kentucky a taste of its own medicine in that one? Yeah. Uh, after thinking about it, I wrote this morning, I said, I don't know what's more amazing that that game unfolded the way that it did or that it was 20 to 10. Um, I, I mean, if, and I'm sure there are some analytics people out there who do things like this, but if you went through that box score and did like a, Hey, what's the projected score based on all these stats? I guess it was, it would be like 45 to seven, something like that. Um, I know the last game that Kentucky ran fewer plays than that was in 2011 and they lost 54, three. Um, so it was it was a dominant performance by Missouri, and just crazy that Kentucky actually had the ball with a chance to tie the game in the fourth quarter, and that uh, obviously you know Missouri. I, I think it's almost best case scenario for Eli Drinkwitz. He can say, "Look, you went out and whipped them at their own game, controlled the game for sixty minutes." And there are still some things we need to fix here because that game shouldn't have been that close. And if you look back at the LSU game, I mean. They were the better team in that game all day. They lost the turnover battle 4 nothing and won the game. They should have won that game by three touchdowns. So he's got a couple of things that he can point to that say, look really good, really positive to build on. 
but we're not anywhere near what we can be. Gabe, the running game obviously was fantastic on the weekend, but I want to go back to Eli Drinkwitz and how much of a difference has this gentleman made with this football program and with him at the helm for an extended period of time, how much more can we expect from Mizzou? Yeah, well, what impresses me about the last two games is he won two games in two completely different ways. Mm -hmm. I mean, saw something on film that told him, we can beat LSU deep. We we can take advantage of the secondary. They emptied the playbook and they did that. And then went into the Kentucky game and said, when teams are trying to go deep and throw the ball, they're making mistakes and Kentucky's beating them because of it. So we're going to take all the risk out of this game. And we're just going to see if Kentucky can beat us if we don't give them the football. And they could. I, I mean, Connor Bazelak threw three passes 20 yards or more downfield. I only remember one of them. Um, he was 0 for 3, didn't complete a pass more than 20 yards downfield. Missouri, I think, had two plays that were longer than 17 yards all day, maybe. Um, so, really impressive what he's done. I mean, you know, the second part of your question, I, I kind of go, I, I mean, the way sports are now, after every game, we either have to fire a guy or give him a contract extension, right? We have to have this. This is what we think. This guy has to pay for this game, or this guy's going to be great. And great start. Like, he has made Missouri fans care about football. He has injected energy into this program that didn't exist. You see things on the field that you love. Um, and so immediately now there are fans going, well, what do we do in three years when, you know, a blue blood comes calling? Or I've had people ask me, is he going to go to the NFL? Like, he's cooked for you. He is currently earning $12 million a win. I don't think we need to rip up his contract and give him a new one quite yet. Um, I, you know, and I understand the optimism that comes with a new coach. And, again, there are a million reasons to feel very good about what's happened. But let's – Let's go ahead and let the next season or two play out and see where things are at before we before we guess, you know, where he's at in five years. You know that's not how we do things, though, Gabe. And you know that's not how <laughs> no, we're going to do did. things on this radio interview with you. i got to ask you the next Come question. On, uh, what is Everyone the new... can do it. I just don't have to participate. <laughs> <laughs> that's totally fair. Now, what if I had to ask you, though, I'm, I'm making you the Vegas odds maker, and I say, Gabe, what is the over-under at this point on what the expected win total should be for Mizzou now? They're 2-2 two and two on the season. They have six games to play this year. What would you set the over-under at for Mizzou wins after the, t- the last two weeks with them beating Kentucky and LSU? I would put it probably at four and a half um, because, look, Georgia's a, that's still probably a, a very likely loss. Florida, Florida is not an unwinnable game, especially with their situation coming off the, the quarantines and all that. But, you know, it, it would not stun me like it would have two weeks ago if Missouri went and won that game. But they're a 15-point underdog, and and they're not going to be picked to win it. Vanderbilt it should – I mean, just put that in the win column now. If you don't win that, something went drastically wrong. And, yes, I know we said the same thing last year. Um, so, basically, what you've got is South Carolina, Mississippi State, Arkansas. Mm. Those are three games that I think it's fair to say will be viewed kind of as toss-ups, which – the line's going to be one score one way or the other, right? Nobody's going to be favored by more than seven points in any of those games, I wouldn't think, unless things drastically change by kickoff. So 
if you can beat Vandy and go two and one in those games, you're sitting five and five. Um, if you lose two out of those three, you're, you're four and six. And I kind of wrote this morning, four and six. If we'd gone back a month, or if we'd gone back even the day after the Tennessee game and told you Missouri's going to finish this season four and six, you you'd think, man, Drinkwitz has done a great job getting this thing turned around. Four and six in a in a regular season really kind of converts to about seven and five probably in year one. That's great. I'm really excited about where this thing's going. If I tell you right now Missouri's going to finish four and six, you probably go, I don't know, man. That feels a little disappointing, right? Uh, and it's just kind of the way expectations change throughout the season. If I had to pick it today, I think they're going to end up five and five. But you know, four and six is, isn't unreasonable. Six and four isn't unreasonable. Final question for you, Gabe. I got to ask you about Larry Roundtree because the kid was just incredible against Kentucky. And I know the numbers aren't going to blow you out of the water with him finishing with, what was it, like three and a half yards per carry. But that anybody that watched the game knows that dude was an absolute warrior for Mizzou on Saturday. Where is he going to go down among Mizzou running backs that you've watched? Because you've been around this team. You've covered it longer than I have. Uh, where Where's Larry Roundtree going to finish? I know where he's going to finish all-time rankings, probably number one right. among the running backs, but in terms of the best, where do you think he'll be? Yeah, he won't get the credit um, that he probably deserves for a couple reasons. First of all, his teams just aren't – he's not going to play on a great team. I mean, the, the highlight of his Missouri career is going to either be, you know, 8-5 and five and losing the Liberty Bowl or – you know, this season getting to 500 um, and, and kind of being one of the reasons this thing turns around, um, which is obviously a good legacy to leave. But it, the point is, he, I don't know if he's as good a running back as Henry Josie, but there's no chance that Missouri fans are going to remember him the way they remember Henry Josie, who came back from a horrific knee injury to win an SEC East title, right, with a 57-yard touchdown. I mean, um, is he going to be remembered as, as fondly for people my age as like Devin West and Brock Olivo? Maybe. Um, you know, probably kind of in that range. He's, he's not James Wilder. Um, you know, he's, he's not in that discussion. Is he Tony Temple? Maybe something like that, but Tony played on better teams. Uh, I, I think it, the other thing is Larry's just not flashy, right? He doesn't have he's not going to have an 85 yard touchdown run very often, at least not against the SEC team, because he doesn't have that kind of speed to to do that. Um, probably one of the better highlights of his career, honestly, was was on Saturday, like yep. his 36 carry of the game or whatever. He just lays out a Kentucky defensive back in a play that, let's be honest, should have gotten Missouri at least one taunting penalty and maybe like seven, <laughs> but it didn't. Good for them. Um, you know, uh, but that's the kind of play he makes. Um, it, it, he's not flashy. He's not going to turn up on a, a ton of highlight films, but you got to remember this is a kid who, you know, basically had Missouri and Boston college as far as major college football offers, um, I think it was actually A.J. O'Fadale who found him out in North Carolina. And uh, he came in, and, and you know, I, I think it's at least worth mentioning because we went through the same thing with, with Gary Pinkle and, and Larry Smith. I, I know anytime a new coach takes over, the first thing to do is say, look how good this guy is, and that last guy was even worse than we thought he was and all that. And, and I understand this is not a, hey, Barry Odom did a great job. But I remember a lot of people in, in 2003, uh, you know, giving Gary so much credit, and he deserved a lot of it. But if you looked at that Independence Bowl roster, a lot of those guys were Larry Smith recruits, man. Like, Larry at the end wasn't good, 
But Pinkle's first bowl team doesn't happen without Larry's guys, right? And and Drinkwitz is, is obviously doing more with the talent on this roster than Barry Odom had it. So, again, deserves a world of credit. But if Connor Bazelak turns out to be what some people hope he can be, Larry Roundtree, Nick Bolton, these are guys who were, who were brought in. So I, I think it's at least worth mentioning that, hey, you don't just have to dump all over the guy who used to be here at every turn because there are a lot of guys he brought here that are making plays right now. He is Gabe DeArmon. Check out his work over at PowerMizzou.com. Always enjoy having him on the show. Gabe, thanks so much, man. Always appreciate it. All the best to you and the family. All right, guys. Have a good one. You got it. That is Gabe DeArmon joining us here on 101 ESPN. Uh, This team is really, really fun to watch. I was talking with Ferrario during the break, and he was like, man, I've watched every minute of the last two games for Mizzou football. He's like, I I never do this. I I never watch all of these games for Mizzou. And suddenly they're giving you reasons for optimism every Saturday. And we're not going to bring up Illinois right now because they didn't give you a whole lot of reasons for optimism on Friday night. (sighs) But hopefully I'm hoping for my Illini friends that they can have this moment because I I felt the way I would imagine a lot of Illini fans feel today for the last like four or five years. And suddenly, once you get the right coach in there, you get the right culture, and it it changes everything. And Eli Drinkwitz appears to be, and Gabe's right, take this day by day, but it appears that he is the right coach with the right culture at the right time. He's certainly given a jolt of energy to that program. Okay, listen, uh, I don't follow a lot of Mizzou. I never really have, but enough to kind of know that it was a little stale in years before this. And Eli Drinkwitz... A relative unknown, certainly to Mizzou fans, comes in and he injected energy. And yeah, he's dorky, but he's always got fun things to say. And he's emotional on the sidelines. I couldn't believe, like, I'm watching Drink on the sidelines and I'm thinking, okay, this guy's going to be calm. You know, he's fired up. Yeah. It's like he's had four Red Bull. He's going back and forth. He's yelling at the players. He's yelling at the ref. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? I also loved at the end of the first half, he messed up the situation. He messed it up. He he was wrong with the way that he utilized his timeouts. And then you know what he did? He went into halftime. He had the interview right before the half with the SEC network um, reporter. And he said, I messed that up. I got to be better there. That That's on me. I, I should have used my timeouts differently. I love that. The ability, the willingness to be in the moment and to say, man, I self-reflect really quickly. You know what? That was on me. I messed up. I'm going to be open and honest about it. Here's what I should have done differently and diagnosing it immediately that you did something wrong. I love that, man, because so many coaches are like, no, I did that right. The result was wrong. No, drink what's new in the moment. I messed up here, and I will be better next time as a result of that. And that's a huge thing for a coach. It goes a long way with the players, for starters, because then when he gives it to them for a mistake, they know, well, you know what? He admits when he does wrong, so I got to be better. It must be my problem. And it goes a long way with the fans. Yeah. Don't give me that, you know, fluff answer. Yeah, you did wrong. Okay, great. I appreciate that. Now I got your back. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Would you be saying all of this if Mizzou was 1-3 with a close loss to LSU? Yes, absolutely. I would be. 100%. If Mizzou had a close loss against LSU and then they dominated Kentucky the way that they just did, I would 100% be saying the exact same thing. 65780 <laughs> is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 618. BK, maybe you should try what Eli Drinkwitz is doing and admitting when you're wrong. Never, sir. Never. We'll dive into the junk drawer coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. 
with Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer. Jamie Rivers, what do you have for us today, my friend? Okay, guys. Uh, candles. Are you guys into candles? I love candles, actually. Okay. Love me a good candle. All right. So then, like, I love smell good things in general. Sorry, sorry to cut, cut you Easy. off. No, no, that's fine. Just keep going. But, okay. Like the the no, sense go ahead. really. Go ahead, sorry. No, go ahead. I'm just kidding. So the, the <laughs> things that you plug in on your um, dashboard in your car, I love those. Uh, you can use the ones for the air air conditioning that you just kind of plug them in there. Uh-huh. I get the clip-ons that it you is. can have up on the... Uh, <laughs> Oh, you're doing a great job. Keep going. I, I love all oh, of it, wait, man. There's mm. more. Uh, yes. Okay, so you're actually headed in the right direction here. As far as a scent, what is your favorite kind of scent? BK, without going into a 20-minute monologue <laughs> about how you like things to smell good, uh, <laughs> what is your preferred scent? Like, do you like something that's food-related? So something it depends. That's it totally flowers, depends. Something that's fruity, passion fruit, whatever. What? Give me. So it depends. Like summer, I'm gonna go with like a, a smooth, like an ocean breeze type of a thing. If we're getting into the fall months, like right now, cinnamon apple type of stuff is, mm. is always good. You've got the cranberry. That, that always smells really good around this time yep. of the year, the holiday season. You know. Um, then when you get into the spring, a little bit close to the early summer, some of the fruits, the mangoes, uh, and all of that. Didn't Jamie. you ask for none? 20 minutes? No, that's okay. Alex, what what kind of scent do you prefer overall? For like, if if you got one candle to buy, and you're like, yeah, it's my favorite one, I'm going with this. Uh, It's either beach or clean laundry. One of those two. Oh, the clean linens. Always a good one. clean linens are awesome. Or it might be like cotton. I don't know what it's called, but it's phenomenal. So there's a company, okay, called DW Home. And this is kind of in theme for this this time of year. We're coming up on Thanksgiving. They're selling a candle that smells like mashed potatoes. Okay. What? Oh, Kara would. Please don't show this to Kara. And they, and they also say that there she are. She the smell yes. of mashed potatoes. There are also <laughs> saying that there are hints of gravy, stuffing, and cranberry Aww. sauce in the smell. Now, the candle costs $14. Not too much. If you're interested in getting a mashed potato candle, guys. Where's this at? DW Home. Are you guys now, if, if okay, your significant others, come home. They got, oh, honey, I got this great candle. You find the lighter, and, and could you please light this candle? And you go, and it's a mashed potatoes with gravy stuffing. It's Thanksgiving size. Yeah, I was going to say, it, it sounds like it's called Thanksgiving dinner. Are you in, or are you out I'm for out. mashed potato candle? I'm out. I the problem in. is, Kara's very in. Kara loves mashed potatoes. So I got to be careful with this. We, we got to delete this from the podcast. She can hear nothing about any of this. I'll no. rip it off and send it to her right now. <laughs> no, I already actually, we're actually live on Instagram for her. Um, okay. You actually listen live on the 101 ESPN app, too. I'm not in, okay? No. Like, I, really? Yeah, no, I'm not in. As far as food smells go, like I would definitely go for something different than mashed potatoes gravy. I'm, I'm not a big, I like the some of the, like the vanilla and things like that. Yeah, I'm on board for that. I am not on on board for mashed potatoes. I mean, this isn't like an everyday scent in the house that I would be on board with, but like Thanksgiving time? I mean, it's the smell of Thanksgiving. Why don't you just make mashed potatoes instead? If you want to smell mashed potatoes, I would recommend making. Just microwave like some Bob Evans mashed potatoes <laughs> and leave it on the counter. Those don't smell very good. <laughs> those don't smell good at all. 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 618. Guys, does, does BK have a side gig at 
Bath and Body Works, or what's going on? That yeah. was kind of that was kind of uh, interesting. God, you were like an ultra salesman of that too. He was like a late night. I like got candles. I love candles. I, I, love I can tell the whole spiel you had had only one mention of a candle. Everything else was one of those other devices. So do you really love candles? Yeah, actually, it was I more the plugins. It. Yeah, it was more about the plugins. Yeah. All of it. All of it's great. Anyways, All I'm right. out on mashed potato well, candy. So for my junk drawer today, I would like to talk about the dating scene, Jamie. Oh yeah, because we're all heavily involved in yeah. that. It's been a minute been since there any like of us have years. gone <laughs> on a date with a, with a new significant other, right? But there is a gentleman. Um, he's out in uh, across the pond. He's in Asia. And he's going out on a oh, date. That pond. That pond. That's a big pond. Big pond. I was like, what, Creep Core Lake? <laughs> he, he, he's, <laughs> it's a lake. Um, he, Thanks. <laughs> he's going out on a date. With uh, a girl who we had just previously met. It's good. She's 25. He's 29. He's he's going over to her place. Okay. Now, Jamie, <laughs> sometimes you go over to somebody's place and there's a couple other roommates that maybe are over while you're picking them up. And you say hi, you mingle, you try to get to know them a little bit. And then you head on your merry way, right? Not for this gentleman. This gentleman went over to her place and there were 23 relatives ready to greet him when he walks through the door. And she decides, actually, let's go ahead and have dinner with these 23 relatives. Absolutely. What if he's a serial killer? She needs backup. Um, not great. Except for there was one little change. They didn't eat there. She wanted to go to the restaurant with him and 23 of her relatives. The end result for the bill was $3,000, and this gentleman was expected to pick it up at the end of the date. Damn! 23 relatives, you just wanted to go on a date with this woman, and you finish with a $3,000 bill. How bad do you want it, buddy? Yeah, I was going to say, how bad do you want it, buddy? Good night ending. Actually, I think it's it's a a separator right there. How bad do you want a date? Apparently not bad enough. He was unable to pay the bill. He snuck out of the restaurant without anybody noticing and returned home, leaving the woman to pay the bill. That's the way to do it right there. I do. Listen, I respect the move. I would have done the same thing. It would have been the the Casper the Friendly Ghost. I'd be like, hey, I got to go to the bathroom and disappeared forever. That's the way to do it. The woman was asked afterwards about it, and she said, quote, I was testing whether the man who might potentially be my boyfriend would be generous enough to pay for all 25 people, including himself and myself. No. That is selfish by you. Yeah. That is not asking him to be generous. That is you asking to be selfish in that moment. That's your family that was in dire need of a dinner. They all wanted to go out, and you were like, oh, this will work. Okay, but you know what, guys? Let's look at it from another angle No, here. let's not. No, let's do this. Hang on, Alex. If if she doesn't know this guy very well, he's going across the pond, as you said, BK, you know, without getting into his personal banking situation, maybe this is a way for her to judge how much money does this guy have? Like, if he's willing to pick up a $2,300 bill, or is it 3200 It was 3300 It was $2,300. Okay, no, so it was $3,000. Excuse me. Guy, no, I was listening. If this guy doesn't bat an eyelash at this, hey, we got a future. So you're a gold digger now. Yeah, of course. Is, okay. It's an investment for the future, Alex. A $3,000 dinner. <laughs> and a great, great question from the 618-657-80. How good looking was she? I don't know. There like are no pictures was, on here, okay, so I'm not talking, sure. Okay, if we're talking, let's just throw one out there. Nobody's going to get in trouble. A this. hard 10. Like, 
What? Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? What if, what if it was a like... A scale of 1 to 10. Yeah, it, hard it's, a, 10. it's a hard 10 and a soft 10. Then. I got it. Uh, it's 10 either way. Uh, Giselle is sitting there. She's the one, and she's making you buy her family $2,300. Eva Mendez. Eva Mendez? $3,000. Would you go... How? how what's the threshold? What's the threshold? It's always a credit getting card, yourself right? completely in trouble right now. It's, it's more than three hundred, wow. three thousand. I'll, I'll say that much. All right, right. I mean, right. Rihanna. Rihanna's sitting there at the end of the table. No, no, I wouldn't spend nah, three thousand on Rihanna. I would have dined and dashed. Yeah, I would have left. I like her. I would have eaten that with much. her and then left. Yeah, maybe actually have her pick up the bill. Yeah, she makes way more money. Yeah, let's me. be honest. Here. If I'm going to dinner with Rihanna, I'd be like, Rihanna, let's not be selfish here. You make more than I do. Like, quite honestly, it's her treat if I'm at dinner with her. Yeah. Don't ask me on a date, Rihanna. Can you imagine her pay. scoring a guy like me? Yeah, that's, that's I'm a, I'm a hard ten. What? He's Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, Major League Baseball revenues. Well, baseball wants you to know all about them and just how much money they lost this year. It's going to be a long offseason. We'll tell you about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Baseball is letting us all know just how much money they lost, Jamie. They are making sure that we are fully aware of the amount of money that they lost this season. And no, I'm not saying the shortfall compared to projections. I'm saying the amount of money that they spent expenses versus the amount of money that they brought in in revenue. Now, this comes from so an the article. biblical losses that they sustained before the season even started are not more. Th- those are what they're talking about. Wow. So Evan Drellich of The Athletic wrote an article based on sources that he has talked with around the league. And they told him that the league's revenues this season were $3 billion. So they brought in a lot of money, right? Sounds great. Except for the fact they apparently had expenses of more than $6 billion. That is a shortfall in terms of revenue versus expenses. We don't have to be great at math for this. Of $3 billion. That means they lost, like actually lost, $3 billion across the league this year, if you are to trust these numbers, and that is a decision for all of you to make on your own. But I this bet is that's the probably pretty close, because there's a lot of teams that have revenue. Of course, it's not disclosed within you know their, their baseball revenue, but they have things attached to it that are ancillary income around it that, like, Probably didn't get the business. Like, Ballpark Village wasn't rocking like it normally is. And we don't even know if they consider that to be baseball-related revenues or not. So I don't know if that is even included. No, I don't mean it's included. I mean that on top of the baseball figures, probably even bigger losses. But what I'm saying is I don't know if that's a part of this or not. Uh, All of that being said, Jamie, here's where it does get a little fishy to me. Uh Uh-oh. They are claiming that they were anticipating $10 billion in revenues this year with $10.2 billion in expenses. So Major League Baseball is claiming that if there were no pandemic, if they had a 162-game season as normal, and they could have fans in the stands every week, all, all of these different things, a regular season, they would have lost $200 million. That's what they're claiming, which 
seems unlikely to me. Now, maybe I'm wrong here, but they're basically claiming that they would have had a $200 million shortfall in what they were projecting for the upcoming season. With an empty stadium? No. no. That is what Ooh, they were. capacity, they would have been losing $200 million. They are, they are telling you that they expected $10 billion in revenue and that they were expecting $10.2 billion in expenses. That's bull. So here's my problem with all of this is the NHL now has full disclosure. They have to because there's a salary cap and the revenue sharing that they have in the escrow and all that. So the owners, although there are probably ancillary forms of income for the team or revenue for the team, overall, their hockey-related expenses or profits, you know about it. You know about it. And I don't know about the NFL enough about that. It's the same thing. Anybody with a cap has to do that. But baseball has been let run freely to just basically declare whatever they want. Yeah, hey, this year we made $5. Yeah. Tell me why I'm wrong. Like, that's yeah. basically what they're it. doing. You can't here. even get to the book. So, yeah. guys, we talked about this ad nauseum during the stay at home in the pandemic while baseball was trying to figure it out. We got a big roadblock lying ahead of us when it comes to the collective bargaining agreement for Major League Baseball. And the more I hear of stories like this to where their claims, their claims, because you can't prove it, you can't disprove it or prove it, the baseball players are going to dig in and this is going to suck. Because the baseball players are going to look greedy. They're going to look like spoiled professional athletes. But let's be honest. If you don't know what the revenues are for your employer, the people that own your team, how can you say whether or not you're asking for too much money in a contract? Yeah, you cannot physically sit there and tell me that if this was a full season with everything intact, that you're still going to lose $200,000 or $200 million or whatever you're sitting here explaining to us. When you have the CBA protecting you as an ownership, why wouldn't you lie? Why wouldn't you sit there? Because what you, would be the inspiration to tell the truth? You cover, there isn't one. You cover your ass the, the, the perfect way possible if you're an owner, because then you go into the offseason talking about slashing prices, and you talk about cutting this player out and firing these people. Nobody's going to hold that against you. This is the opportunity that the ownership has been working for since the return to play committee was in conversations with each other. And the other thing that is happening right now is they are slashing payroll uh, in terms of the players. They are slashing the number of jobs that they have within their organizations. Well, how about that? All the people that are losing their jobs because of because of this, because, because of they're this. claiming of how much money they're losing. And this also comes from this story from Evan Drellich. He says, on top of all of this, the expected removal this winter of of roughly 40 teams from minor league baseball means that every club is preparing to eliminate or perhaps relocate about five to 10 minor league staff positions per club as well. They're slashing all over the place. They're trying to eliminate as much salary as they possibly can from the books right now. And this is, this is their explanation. This is their excuse. You can look at it either way. It is both an excuse and an explanation, depending on how you view these things. And the reason why I wanted to bring this up today is because as it all kind of circles back to here in St. Louis, this is going to be the story that is 100 percent going to tell us what the Cardinals decide to do in the in the offseason. If they are one of these teams that claims or believes or it is true that lost this kind of money, it doesn't matter how much they want to bring back Yadier Molina. If Yadier Molina wants his market rate and they're saying, Yadi, we lost so much money, we cannot meet that price. Well, then he might end up walking. If they get to the point where they have to cut that kind of salary, well, then Colton Wong, the conversation we've been having about how good he is defensively and how without him, I don't know if you have that same identity. None of that matters. 
They might just say, you know what, we're walking away from this team option. We're going to cut that $11.5 million of salary, and we're going to move forward with Tommy Edmond basically making the league minimum to do 70% of what Colton Wong used to do at second base for us. This is the number one headline of the Cardinals offseason, and there is no close second. Everything else is secondary. If they are in fine position financially, they can go out and make some moves. If they're not, if they are one of the teams that got hit really hard this year, well, then we might be talking about going the other direction from what we are all hoping for. Okay, so here's I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth here for a second, because as a business owner myself, you're allowed to make money. Yeah, of course. You've earned the right as someone who owns the team or owns a company and you're employing a lot of people. You have earned the right to be able to make money and earn a living. There's no doubt about it. And we have a text here from uh, let's see here. Trying to find it now. Alrighty, huh. here's a little curveball from the 314 Air Comfort Service text line. Here's a little curveball for you. Do you guys know what ESPN's revenue is so that you can negotiate your contract? That's from JP, I guess. You know what? I'm not aware of what the revenues are. And uh, but I think we're talking about a different animal here altogether. I really do. I think that there are things that have been brought up during this pandemic that we know the revenues of our company have been affected. And in in return, we've had to make adjustments accordingly. And the company still deserves to make money. They deserve to make money. And the owners deserve to make money as well. I think the problem that we're having here for the listeners that are that are on board is it's not that they're not allowed to make money. It's that they're not disclosing the true value of what they have. And so, therefore, the Cardinals, if they decide that, well, this year was a big loss for us, we just don't know. And as a fan base and as sports talk radio, we're sitting here going, well, we got to get George Springer. Well, we can't afford him. Can't afford to do anything. It's also different because it's a public trust. Like pro sports are just different. We treat them differently in every possible way. They are covered differently than other things are. People don't cover us talking on the radio or you whenever you go to your nine to five or as a salesperson or whatever. It's not covered the way that a professional organization, professional sports team is covered. They are also the goal for these teams is stated to be winning championships, right? That's really hard. We don't have in radio a championship. You, If they did, we'd win it. Absolutely. We, we'd be striving for it every day, right? But there isn't, there isn't that for us to be able to attain. So it's different. It, it, it's not the same. It's really hard to compare what we're talking about with the Cardinals to what you go to every day whenever you're going into your warehouse. There, there's, there isn't an, it's apples to oranges. Hell, it's, it's apples to, to pork. Pork steaks, like it's it's just a totally different thing. Apples to pork steaks, that's a new one. So, when we're talking about the revenues that these teams are bringing in, they're supposed to be proportional to the products that we're seeing on the field. They're supposed to be spending that money in a way that makes you go out to see that product by bringing in better players, and bringing in better players costs more money. There's mm-hmm. a market value. The other thing that's important here, Jamie, is there's a union on the other side. We don't have a union, so they're not Wait, looking. What? I wish what we was did. What's that piece of paper I signed? Them? Yeah, there's no union to be able to negotiate on behalf of us. The players do have that, and so if the owners are being un unfaithful, they're not being faithful in their negotiations. Well, yeah, that that's something that the unions can probably want to look into. This is going to be a massive off season. Absolutely massive for baseball in every possible way. And Jamie, you've brought this up a million different times. 
we always got to look towards the 2021 offseason for, for a lot of reasons here in St. Louis, but it's when the CBA ends. And so all of this that we're seeing right now, the restructure of the minor leagues, the slashing of jobs, mm-hmm. payrolls potentially going down next off, or next season, this is all in preparation for that. And it makes me weary when I'm reading this story and they're saying about how, hey, we were expecting coming into the year that we were going to lose money. Well, who do you think that's a message for? It's not for me. Oh, it's, it's not for you. Definitely posture. That's for the union. 100%. It's going to be frustrating to listen to. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 636. BK, if there was a radio championship, you would not be working there. Just saying. <laughs> well, you know. From the 314, if there was a championship in radio, you guys would be swept by the Rizzuto show. Mm. I feel like we would be the Rays in this situation and Jamie would be Randy Rosarena. So I'm not yes. feeling, I don't feel like that's a fair. Take that risk. Accurate assessment. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We'll play a game of in or out coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. Let's play a game of in or out. Boys, in or out, it is already time for the Cowboys to give serious consideration to firing Mike McCarthy. Well, no kidding. I'm in on that. That team is done. And I know Andy Dalton got hit. I wasn't watching that game at all, and I was still amazed. And then I found out later on that Andy Dalton got hit and knocked out of the game. But what does that say about the rest of your season and concussion protocol? He can't play next week. You wouldn't think so. Yeah, you're supposed to have a week without any activity at all and then be reassessed the NFL. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say he he might play next week. The NHL works, but well, listen, I'm looking out for the red rocket here. I think that he needs red to take, rifle. Oh, red rifle. That's yeah, it. What's the difference? Thing. It's, it's the same thing. Same thing. Anyways, uh, the Cowboys are in rough shape, boys. Mike McCarthy, uh, if I'm Jerry Jones, you have to count your losses at this point, which are a lot, by the way, right now. But you got to say, my players have come out publicly and said that it's a disaster, that it's not going well. They're not inspired. They're not coached. This is like, how bad is the bleeding got to get for Jerry Jones to pull, you know, the, the trigger here on firing him. I just don't get it. I don't get I don't think there's a bounce back that's available, especially now that Dak and Dalton are out. Even if it's Andy Dalton's only out for a small period of time, make the change now. I'm in on this, too. I think he should have been fired last week when all this came out. But the fact that he doubled down going into this Sunday by saying that they are as prepared as ever for the game. And then go out there with that. And look, Andy Dalton, well, he was injured second half, right? He wasn't even injured in the first half. Yeah. This is this is coaching staff written all over. You got to get rid of him. Yeah, it, it's time. It's already time. I understand it's year one. We are, what, seven weeks into this season. It feels really early to be talking about this. But it, it could be, and fingers crossed, I, I hope that Dak is able to make a full recovery from the injury. And I'm not saying that I'm glad that the injury happened by any stretch. But it could be a blessing in disguise because Dak Prescott could have masked over some of these other deficiencies. That, oh, that I don't off, know. That he offense, would have been a miracle worker, BK. That offense was really good when he was out he there. He can't play really defense, good. though. I totally understand. Probably Ooh. could. Better but than some of those guys. McCarthy, could be worse. You're right, Alex. McCarthy is an offensive guy. He's supposed to be able to come in and make the offense better than it was previously. 
and Dak was putting up really good numbers early in the season. So who would have gone at the end of the year? Probably his defensive coordinator because that defense is terrible. Did they have one? Mike Nolan technically is the Mike defensive Nolan. coordinator. Take the year off. Mike you could be D coordinator ribs. But when you're when you're looking at it now, there is no hiding for Mike McCarthy. That offense is awful as well. And Andy Dalton's not a good player. But he shouldn't be this bad. Come on, no, he's, he's adequate though. No, he I don't even know his name. Bad. I don't I mean, even know his name. He was adequate, and he had some okay seasons in Cincinnati. Let's not sure. be too hard on the guy here. No, what I'm saying is the fact that he looks this bad for them right now is a direct reflection on the coaching staff, especially with all of those weapons. Well, and some of them, too, like uh, Stalter, obviously Mr. Football himself, was talking about how Andy Dalton like never audibled. Never once in that first game where it looked like he wasn't allowed yep. to audible. He if that's the case, lost. then that's really bad coaching. C.D. Lamb, their first-round pick who's been awesome this year, had zero catches in that game. Michael Gallup, a former Hopefully second he's got third a cell round phone with him, though. Had uh, just two targets, zero receptions in the game. The only wide receiver with a catch in that football game for Dallas, again, they have really good weapons. That, that's been their calling card for the last two years. The only wide receiver with a catch was Amari Cooper. That was it. All of the other guys went catchless in that game. He's He's got to go after the end of the year. In or out, guys, sticking with the NFC East theme. It is the worst division you have ever seen. Yes. In or out. Yeah, I'm in. It is the worst I've ever seen. Usually you have like a team or two in a division and you got somebody who's relatively competitive. I, I, I told you guys, I've, re, I've renamed it the Deuce Division for obvious reasons. It is straight up poo-poo. Not one good thing to look at in that division. OBJ's in the AFC, Riz. Yeah, well, he should be in the NFC East. OBJ's He'd be very happy if he was. That's probably true. Yeah, Carson Wentz is in this division. It's terrible. He's the best of the worst, though, I think. I honestly think the Redskins are the more intriguing team out of that division. Washington. Washington football football team. I did the same thing. I know. You did it last week. Actually, Michael Strahan did it, too, this weekend on Fox. We're good, then. Yeah. If he can do it. I think the Washington football team is the more intriguing one. When you look at that defense, when you got a young Chase Young, you figure they'll get some type of quarterback solution. They're the more intriguing team out of those four teams in that NFC East division. These teams are combined 6-19-1 on the year. Is that pretty good? Four of those six wins have come against their own division. <laughs> so they are 2-15-1 when they play outside of the division. That makes it worse. Against teams currently... Division games are important. <laughs> well, did you hear Mike McCarthy? Over the weekend, they, they did a report live from the stadium in Washington. They were like, you know, Mike McCarthy has done his research over the weekend, guys, and he said getting to four wins in the division is really important. The best is yet to I agree. Going 500, going above 500 in your division typically helps you out a little bit. Yeah. That's that's the way you should go. Getting Yikes. to four wins might win you the division. Hell yeah. I can't wait to see that playoff game. Oh, my. Goodness. When teams in the NFC East are not playing against fellow NFC East foes, they are 0 and 14 when they go against a team that is over 500. They have yet to defeat a team outside of their division over 500 all season in 14 opportunities. It is it is time to say it. This is one of the worst divisions we have ever seen in the history of football. I would like to go through that and see, and maybe the text line, maybe we can mess around tonight and try to figure out the worst division ever in football. But this has got to be competitive. It's got to be in the running. It's up there. Uh, yeah. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for in or out. Guys, in or out. 
The loss for the Titans against the Steelers actually made you feel better about the Titans as a legitimate contender in the AFC. Nope, smoke and mirrors. I'm still on it. Unbelievable. Smoke and mirrors. The the Steelers let up. They had been beating them all game. They let their foot off the gas a little bit. Nothing to it. I'm so in on this. Smoking I can't believe ears. you're still on this, Ribs. Like, look, Pittsburgh, the obvious better team, but the fact that they came back from that deficit and reset at halftime and made it within a field goal, and they missed a field goal. How often is Gaskowski going to miss a field half. goal? He wasn't even trying. Well, apparently a lot, because it happened in early in the season as well. Well, apparently Gostowski he's just stinks. He, apparently he's old and he just needs to retire. Who? Gaskowski. Oh. Their kicker. Yeah. Uh, Did you see Big Ben's face when he missed it? Like, Ben Roethlisberger looked as if he was expecting overtime. Oh yeah, he said, "Did he miss it? Yeah, did he? Did he miss that? It was. It was awesome. Titans are the third best team in that in that conference in that division. You're right. No, I actually Get agree with Ferrario on this one, which yeah. probably makes you feel bad about this, Ferrario. Hey, good luck. Now you Kinda just got does. BKO'd. I think you're looking right now. I think there's a clear top two in the AFC. I think it's the Steelers and the Chiefs. Yep. Right below them, I think, is the Titans and the Ravens. And I think it's in that order. Yep. I think I would take the Titans right now over the Ravens. If you go run game one-to-one, I would take right now the Titans running game over the Ravens running game. If you go passing game one-to-one, I would take the Titans passing game right now over the Ravens passing game. Now, the Ravens have a better defense. But I think the it's crazy to say, I think the Titans might have a better coach overall right now. Vrabel is really, really good. So I think I would take the Titans today over the Ravens. I'd go Chiefs and Steelers in whatever order. I'll listen to either of them. And then Titans and then Ravens right now in the AFC. Yeah, smoke and mirrors. I can't believe you're still on this. He's Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. How does the NHL schedule impact potential Blues moves this offseason? We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. I'm Brandon Kylie. So how is the NHL schedule going to impact potential blues moves this offseason? We've talked about this a couple of times, but it seems like there's a few updates that we can get into, Jamie, coming off of the weekend. And we are expecting to have Bill Daly, the NHL's deputy commissioner on the show on Wednesday. So we'll get into that a little bit further with him when he joins us coming up on Wednesday. But as of today, we don't know for sure if or when the schedule is going to officially be announced. We don't know if it's going to be a full schedule or if it's going to be closer to 45, maybe 60 games. We don't know if there's going to be bubbles or in-home markets. We don't know if the divisions are going to have to be realigned. All of this sounds like it's at least on the table for the NHL. One thing that I did want to ask you, Jamie, though, is if it does end up being 48 to 60 games and it's condensed and you're going to have fewer nights off, does that make it more important for a team like the Blues to have the depth that you need in order to have some nights off for guys here in between, whether it be your goalie that's getting a night off when you have three straight games or a right winger that's getting up there in age that needs a night off and you're able to plug somebody in there that's not going to miss a beat? How important does this depth become if that is the way that the scheduling ultimately goes? Well, it'll be interesting, first of all, to see what they do as far as a roster number is concerned because as it sits, you really wouldn't have enough players on the roster to keep each guy kind of protected physically through a three and three. Like I, I remember doing those games in the minors. It was a grind. Like heck we'd play. The worst was we play Wednesday night, 
We play Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday mm, afternoon. Jeez. And you would travel through the night on the bus. And like, it was just, it was awful. So imagine three and three for the NHL, even though these guys have chartered flights and great meals and accommodations or they're at home, whatever. It's a lot. And so I think you'd have to expand the roster first and foremost, giving you the ability to use depth more so than they have right now. But yeah, the Blues have a tremendous amount of depth. It's going to be interesting to see how they build the American Hockey League. Uh, the Blues currently have a couple of guys playing overseas in the KHL. Clem Costin right now is currently playing in the KHL. You know, where do these guys fit in? And we know that there's a logjam on the blue line with the young guys, with Mikola and Perunovic that are available. Vince Dunn yet to be signed, but if he does get signed, which we think he will, you have about eight guys in on the back end. Goaltending-wise, this is where it gets thin for me. You have Jordan Bennington, you have Vili Husso, and then they signed, what, Gillies? The Gillies, young, yeah. Gillies. Islanders last year. It's an unknown a little bit, you know. So if you have Bennington that's starting the bulk of your games, but you have a three and three, well, you're not going with Bennington for three of those. Are you even going with back-to-back? No, maybe you could space it out, but still it's it's going to wear on these guys. So I think that the Blues and some of the other teams in the NHL who have great depth will certainly have an advantage. Um, but, yeah, you're going to have to make sure that you have the guys in place that can do multiple roles. Can't just play one position as a forward. you got to play left, center, right wing. I think the Swiss Army knife type player will be huge for teams this upcoming season. I was having this conversation with my brother-in-law yesterday uh, about the goaltending. That's the part that is the most intriguing thing because, look, we all assumed the move on from Jake Allen was to get Alex Petrangelo back. And now that you didn't get Petro back and Jake Allen was traded away, that That is going to be a glaring hole this upcoming season because, look, let's be honest here. You're going to be playing a lot of games in a little amount of time if you're going to try and get 60-plus games in from February on. And I just don't know if Ville Husso's ready for that at the NHL level. Maybe he is. Maybe what if Bennington gets injured? Yeah. Like, I hate to say it, but even it doesn't have to be like something major. Just he's be, out for a couple, for a couple weeks. weeks. A couple weeks. Yeah. Seven to ten days. You can play five games. Well, and that's why you <laughs> had more. so many goaltenders on the market that wasn't signed because look you're going to see three goalies on an NHL roster this season if this is what it's going to be because you have to but the depth for the Blues I'm intrigued by if teams like the Blues switch their gameplay like if you're a team like the Blues who play an 82 game schedule heavy hard hitting going after teams do you have to switch that in this because yeah you can upset other teams and hurt other teams doing that way but what if you hurt yourself that way? What if you lose multiple players? There's a fine line in playing that style of hockey, but I would actually encourage the Blues to play that way even more. If you're prepared for it. Every team in the league is going to have a lot of games that they're playing, and although it's not a playoff series where you grind the same team down over and over, they're already being grinded down by other teams. And yeah. when they get to you, if you play that heavy style, cycle the puck, get it in behind the D, possess the puck for a long part of the game, you, you will find that the percentages of winning will probably increase but that's where depth comes into play then because the blues can handle if you lose an oscar sunquist you throw somebody else in there if you lose a barbershop somebody else in there other teams may not have that luxury and the reason why i ask all of this and i do find it really interesting that you brought up jake allen because it's one place that i wanted to go with you i mean they they are currently over the cap Mm -hmm. they're a million dollars over the cap the only way that they're going to be able to be currently under the cap cap compliant is what they call it is they're going to have to go on long-term IR with Steen and Tarasenko. That They've got more than enough money if they go that route. Mm-hmm. Or they're going to have to ship somebody else out. 
Those are the two ways that you're able to get it done early in the season. And then the question becomes, at some point, if you're going to bring back Tarasenko, and we would expect that they will, and if you're going to bring back Alex Steen, and that one feels a little bit more open up in the air, well, then you're going to have to then get rid of some of your salary. You're going to have to shed some salary in some way, shape, or form. If they were willing to do this, and in particular, if the plan with Steen is, and we don't know this, but if the plan with Steen is he's going to be on long-term IR all year, at least up until the playoffs, well, then you actually had an extra $5.5 million to work with all along. Well, you know what could have fit into that $5.5 million range would have been Jake Allen's contract. He fits in perfectly with what you are currently over the cap. Do you think right now, if they knew all along, hey, we're not going to bring back Petro, do you think there's any regrets about trading Jake Allen at this point? Uh, there's no regret until you need him, yeah. right? That's basically the way it works. And as a general manager, it's very difficult to manage a team when you're putting hypothetical situations in front of you. Well, if this player gets hurt and this happens and this happens, you really can't do that. And I think that Doug Armstrong, I really do think he was attempting to get Alex Petrangelo back here. And one way to do it was getting Jake Allen's contract off the books. It was certainly steps in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, we know it didn't happen. But look, I think the answer for the Blues is finding a goalie. Like, I look at Jimmy Howard. That's who I was going to ask you about. I find him intriguing. I played with Jimmy in Detroit, and he's a great guy, an amazing teammate, too. He would be much like a Jake Allen to where, in the locker room, he's not sitting there trying to push Bennington for the number one goalie. He's 36 years old. Heck, he may not even be there pushing Billy Husso for the backup job. But if you have a Jordan Bennington that goes on a 7-10-day injured list or two weeks, Jimmy Howard's a nice guy to have. He's played in multiple big games. Heck, he's a Stanley Cup winner. Like, that's not bad. And you could get him for next to nothing. Yeah, I was going to say, he's a guy that you could get for less than a million dollars because he was just bought out by Detroit. And again, 36 years old, you would think a player like that wants a couple more shots at a Stanley Cup championship. Um, You got to, Jake Allen, you don't regret until Ville Husso struggles. Like, if Ville Husso is bad, then you start to regret it because you're like, okay, well, you they've been pumping him up for a while. Like we've heard from yeah. everyone internally that this guy is the next big thing. He's had some peaks and valleys, though. I will say that he's battled some injuries early on in his yep. career. He has made the American Hockey League All-Star game, but he's had some peaks and valleys in his performance. And it's just enough to make me step back and wonder can he handle it? Is he ready for it? Is yeah. he quite ready? And then again, you never, as a GM, you can't sit there and do that. You got to be like, look, we have to get some salary off the books. We have to give this kid his chance, and we're going to have to live with the results for time being. You know what it sounds like to me? It sounds like the Cardinals outfield situation. Sounds like, hey, eventually we got to give him a shot. We got to find out what we have here, and it's either bleep or get off the pot. And yeah. right now, we don't know. We don't well, know if they have Jordan Bennington <laughs> yeah. as the number one. You're right. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and the that's good news, too, is it's not. It's not shallow when it comes to goaltending depth. They do have a couple of guys that are supposedly big, but you're still three years away from even seeing these guys. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's certainly going to be something worth paying attention to is what this schedule is ultimately going to look like. Again, we'll have Bill Daly, the deputy uh, commissioner, joining us on Wednesday to talk a little bit further about that and what it all could look like this season for the NHL. We'll cross things over with the fast lane coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers and 
Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Crossing <laughs> things over with the fast lane. Anthony Stolter in studio. Stolt, how you doing, man? Good. How are you boys? Oh, good. I, I loved watching the Falcons get that uh, victory last why? night. I, we even talked about this. I enjoyed Come on, it. Man. I Todd Gurley on my fantasy that team. That was nice. A he did get me. a big touchdown. That was amazing. He barely a broke the plane. What an effort. Damn. Why Why? Why is everybody blaming Gurley on this? I realize if he if he stops, then you're good. But... He he his his momentum was going right in the end zone and he tried he tried to stop short. How about we turn the attention on the defense that allowed the the Lions to go 75 yards with no with no timeouts with about 60 60 seconds left to play. I mean it took him eight plays though. Stoltz. I mean come on and another miracle catch. Like Stoltz. at what at, at what point do the football gods run out of run out of ammunition here? Do you know who I blame, Anthony? Me? <laughs> no, I never blame you, buddy. <laughs> Who do you Arthur mean? Blank. Get off the field. Every time you're down <laughs> on the damn field, you blow it for your team. Well, he's you there would, every game. <laughs> yeah, no, every time they highlight him, he's standing there. He's ready to like yeah. to celebrate, and then it just happens. The TV cameras need to stay off. Of Arthur him. Blank, get the blank off the field. What do, you, what do you do if you're ownership too? I mean, Jamie, you just bring up you bring up ownership, right? You bring up Arthur Blank. What do you do? Like, are, are these guys good? Are they not? Well, I mean, they should have choice. They, well, think, think about it. Think about it. They should have beat the Bears. They should have beat the Cowboys. They should have won yesterday. Like, this is. Are they somewhat okay? Are they somewhat good? Or do you have to completely tear down the whole the whole operation and get and just are we fumigate? Sure? Are we sure? You, you hire Eric Bieniemy and you run it back next year. That that's the answer. You, you figure it out because they can't cut. They can't trade Matt Ryan. They can't cut. They can't trade Julio Jones. There's just too much on the cap. They wouldn't be able to do it. So you're stuck, man. Uh, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you're stuck. Oh, no, I'm completely aware. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at this at this point, uh, it would be disingenuous for me to come on here and, and kind of rant and rave. It's just it's it's comical. I mean, they they are a meme they are the uh, the gift that keeps on giving sports fans because if you're of uh, even the lions fans are feeling bad for falcons fans at this point i mean seriously this is just a, a travesty well yeah i mean at Brutal. least they lost to a juggernaut of a team right i mean they lost <laughs> to the, the cowboys right on the outside looking in <laughs> did you see have you watched the cowboys they lost to that team i have watched the and cowboys and scored 39 points uh, oh. It's insane. It's not what you're looking for, Stoltz. No. Uh, no. I'm no, boycotting Home Depots Lawrence. until Arthur Blank gets a new coach. <laughs> That's it. I'm going to Lowe's. That's it. Stoltz, I have a question for you. <laughs> What's up? Uh-huh. <laughs> what am I supposed to make of the Cardinals? Are they good? Are they average? Are they above average? What am I supposed to make of this team? Because prior to last night, their wins were against the 49ers. Impressive. Washington, the Jets, and whatever that is in Dallas. So I I didn't know what I was supposed to make of them prior to last night. And then last night, they looked really good against the Seahawks, who I thought were the best team in the NFC. I think that they're probably still a year away from being a real good contender. But you have to at least include them in the wild card mix because of that offense. The, the defense, the defense isn't great as we know. But you know, they, there are games where they even last night. I mean, there's a, there's a couple of big stops that they came up with. Isaiah Simmons, the first the first round pick, comes up with a big interception. But that offense is fun to watch. Kyler Murray, 
gives them an, an added dimension, obviously, that, that most teams don't have. So I think that Arizona is a wild contender now, but they'll be one and done if they do make the postseason. But they're fun to watch. You just sounded like T Pain for a minute there. That was incredible. <laughs> Did I? Yeah, it was great. Now going out of tune. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, all right. So Stoltz, I had said this a while back, and obviously, you know, it was to BK and Alex. But I said it's not going to be long before the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the oh, Tom boy. Brady team, and that the offense goes from the long bomb to what Tom Brady does best is just pick away at the seven to twelve yard passes. Are you surprised? I am a little surprised. Yeah, I'm a little surprised that the the Bucks the Bucks are this good this quickly. I, I thought that they would be eight and eight. I thought maybe seven. I thought maybe nine and seven. But they're clearly the team to beat in that division, and you you have to include them as a Super Bowl, a legitimate Super Bowl team. They're plus eighty point differential. That's incredible. That's that's the best in the entire NFL. The Chiefs are plus seventy five. The the Ravens are plus seventy five. The freaking Buccaneers are plus 80. They look great. That defense, that defense is, is legit. How about this, guys? Apparently, all you need to do in the NFL is get, is get the head coach right and the quarterback right. And then you're set. Hmm. Because Bruce Arians, Bruce Arians hired Todd Bowles. He believes, he believes in, in Bowles, his former defense coordinator out in Arizona. He kind of bounced around, was a Jets head coach. Now he's the D.C. in Tampa. And once you got Bruce Arians in place... He made all the right hires, and, you, and then you sign Tom Brady, and you're good. So just get the quarter, just get the quarterback right, just get the head coach right, and uh, you're, you're a Super Bowl contender. So that's, you pay, that's my that's my biggest takeaway here from the Bucks. You pay attention to DVOA, right? Stoltz is a gambler. Yeah. So yes. DVOA for any of our listeners that are like, what the hell is BK talking about? Basically, it's a power ranking. They, they based on every play of every game, how good are you as a team? And they've they've had this since 1985. They've gone back through and gone through every play of every game and power ranks these teams and how good they are through x x number of weeks since 1985. The current 2020 Buccaneers through seven games according to them is one of the 10 best teams that they have measured through seven games since 1985 the only teams that are better than them according to this metric is the 07 Pats of course Jamie thank you the 91 Washington team 2019 New England, which interesting. Thank you. 96 Green Bay, 85 Bears. I've heard of them before. Uh, 07 Indianapolis, 94 Cowboys when they were in their heyday. Uh, the big year offensively with Peyton Manning in Denver and then San Francisco last year. Next up is Tampa Bay. This team is is wildly impressive so far. I can't believe they're already this good. Yeah, I, I've, I'm very, very impressed as well. I mean, there you mentioned DVOA. I know going into the, into that game yesterday, they had the number one defense in DVOA, mm-hmm. and that was that was one of the reasons why I liked the Bucks to upset Aaron Rodgers and the Packers last week. It, it, BK, you had mentioned this, I think, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, maybe. You said, you said, man, this defense is up and coming. They're 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 arrived. I mean, yep. they they slowly started adding pass rushers. Their secondary was atrocious the last couple of years. Now they're now they're playing much better in the in their uh, defensive backfield. So Tampa's legit. They're they're a Super Bowl contender. There's no doubt about it. And I think there's there's about five teams right now that I would consider in the Super Bowl mix, and they're certainly one of them. Tell you what, boys, I don't know about DVOA and all this other stuff. All I know about Tom Brady is G-O-A-T, the only three, right? No, the only three letters that matter, W-I-N.
Thank you very much. God, you're the well worst. Well done. That's Jamie Rivers. He's Alex Ferrario. <laughs> I'm Brandon <laughs> Kylie. Stoltz, what's coming up today on the Fast Lane, man? Well, a lot more NFL reaction. We got to get to that game four, mm-hmm. Dodgers and Rays. That was a wild one as well. Kershaw. I mean, he's not he's knocking on the door, but we've been here before. So we'll talk. Uh, we'll talk to Chris Singleton a little bit later on. He's been on the the call with Dan Schulman and Jessica Mendoza on ESPN Radio. So we got a jam packed show for you. Looking forward to it. That's coming up from two to six. We'll be back tomorrow at eleven, right here on one hundred and one ESPN. Mmm. You have been listening to the Ribs and BK podcast on one hundred and one ESPN.